This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy day for you, hopefully. Hopefully you're making it a great one. Today, by the way, Common Courtesy Day. We will just show common courtesy. Thank you for doing me some common courtesy by turning off your Townton Abbey. No, I haven't turned it off. Oh. I'm it's, it's rolling right here. So there was no common courtesy. No. But thank you for thanking me, which is a common courtesy, for almost turning off my Townton Abbey. By the <sighs> way, Townton Abbey update up to 68,000 um, citizens in my little fiefdom. Neat thing about Townton Abbey is uh, we just put in a bus system because I had a lot of complaints about traffic flow. And I didn't want to make six-lane roads because that just costs a fortune. Any more word from B? B. Uh-oh. Oh, no, B. You've already forgotten her. Oh, yeah, B. I didn't forget her. She, You know, she moved out. B, B was the um, she was she was one of the naysayers of the Townsend Abbey folk. It's interesting that she moved out, considering she sings about not being able to escape. Yeah, it's weird. It was weird. She just once we got that bus system working, she was one of the first people we put on the bus. Hmm. I mean, that got on the bus, and now she's gone. Oh, right out of town. Yeah, first bus out of town. Yeah, took nice. her right to the next town. Mm, I'm going to miss old B. Not that she was old. No age discrimination there. Hey, got a great show for you today. Um, we're going to have a little update on Trumpdom. Um, Trump's in a little bit of, I don't know if trouble, but, uh, you know. Can you be in trouble if you don't admit that you're in trouble? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You because, ever heard of Richard Nixon? Well, no. I mean, there's that kind of trouble, but there's trouble where, like, a lot of political scandals are because people are asking you about it. Right. 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 So if they ask you about it and you don't admit to it. Right. Except. Does it count? Because well, that's kind of what Trump does is people come to him like, oh, no, any other politician, they do this and it's over. But he didn't admit to it. He just didn't accept it. He moved on. I'm not accepting the fact that you think I did something wrong. Right. The only problem is um, the FBI is investigating. And that came out yesterday that they are officially investigating. Yeah. Mr. Trump and some of his – not Mr. Trump, but his, his team. Yeah, and their connections. And their connections to Russia. It, which, is, it is interesting. He said he's been doing that since July. Yeah. And then right about, what, late October is when he announced the Hillary Clinton investigation, which just like grabbed the laptop, he announced Oh, yeah. It. And then the next week he pulled it back. But he didn't announce that they had been looking at Trump for like six months. Yeah. Haven't, has, haven't we figured out yet that – He's rubber and we're glue, and everything that we shoot at him bounces off of him and sticks to us. Huh? Something like that. I don't know. It kind of feels confusing just like that. Yeah, minus the glue part because nothing seems to be sticking. You, you go into these press conferences. Nothing sticks to him. They go into these press conferences, and it's like, ooh, how's he going to get out of this one? And then they walk away like, how did he do that? Well, it's just distraction. The problem is the FBI is not distracted. Just the media are. 
Well, because they don't know the truth. But that's what what we get to hear. We don't get right. to hear from the FBI. Now we, we don't just, have just to, to hear say it. No comment. We could just all go quiet. He's rubber. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Also, we hear about all of this uh, these ideas of drones delivering packages for Amazon, for Google, for UPS. Okay, let's say that we all agree that drones will someday be delivering pizzas and your Amazon packages. Agreed. How do we then make sure that that drone doesn't crash into our, you know, our air conditioner on our roof? Right. Or Or stuff. Or, you know, or anything. How do we make sure they don't crash into our power lines? Is your air conditioner on your roof? Or do you have a swamp cooler? I was thinking thinking when I was growing up, we had a swamp cooler on our roof. Uh, and then I, yeah, before that, we just had a guy that would fan, just fan our family. He lived on the roof. Did they feed you grapes too? It wasn't me. Oh, okay. Sheesh. Think it was me? No, the person fanning usually yeah. does the grapes too. Yeah, we fan, yeah. <laughs> we fed him grapes. So we're going to be talking about drone package delivery, meaning what actually needs to take place in order for drones to become safe. How are you going to... Maneuver a drone two miles because it breaks all the rules right now. You can't fly a drone if you can't see where it's flying. You have to have line of sight to the drone. And uh, we're going to have to – we'll figure out what needs to happen if we ever want drones delivering pizzas, which I'm not sure we do. I like the little kid you know, or the 50-year-old man trying to pick up an extra dollar. I like him at my door so I can hand him a tip. I'm not tipping a drone. You know what though? Maybe with drones, Amazon would finally be able to deliver on their promise of two-day shipping. We got a great group today. Great crowd. Mm. It seems er- like early, early risers. Yeah, and they're quick to jump on a, on a comedic moment, even if it's not that funny. Right. <laughs> Don't argue with their timing. It's perfect. It's not their timing. I'm, argu- I'm, I'm arguing with their judgment. Judgment of humor. Yeah. Because they were all over that one. Um, so we'll get to that fun. Plus, uh, Caitlin, our, I believe, well, we'll see. Because somebody's going to be joining us. One of our great producers <laughs> is coming in to talk to us. We don't know which one. Somebody's yet. coming in. I'm pretty sure. We, someone owes us something. I believe it's Caitlin. That's what I put down. Well, not at 7. No, 7D. Our seven segment. That's, is that's it what every, I'm saying. Do we have her on every day? I, I'm saying someone. We had a meeting. Do we have McKinn on every day or every other day? Seven D meaning the fourth segment of the first hour. Yeah. For or anyone seven who's mis- dimensions. If you're if you've gone one right three D. We're gonna go four D. Four. Might as well go seven. Well, somebody's got dementia. Yeah. So we will get to all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's get to the master himself of the news, the Trump follower. Hmm. Terry South. Terry? The Department of Homeland Security has banned electronic devices larger than a cell phone in airplane cabins on nonstop flights to the U.S. from 13 countries, including Saudi Arabia and Jordan. In an email circulated by the Transportation Security Administration, airlines based in 13 Middle Eastern and African countries were reportedly instructed not to allow laptops, iPads, Kindles, or cameras into the cabin. While the State Department declined to comment on the policy, officials told CNN that embassy officials for the affected countries have been notified. This report is to be is based on intelligence gathered overseas of a possible threat. So scary. I mean, you wonder what the the threat must be. Very detailed. Yeah. Well, there was that one. Uh, it was an overseas flight, but someone 
walked in and they took some device and put it on the inside of the cabin of the airplane and blew a hole in the side of the airplane? Yeah. Probably want to avoid that. Yeah, you're not going to want that. Big day on Capitol Hill for President Trump. FBI Director James Comey testifying before the House Intelligence Committee reported that the FBI has been investigating the possible Trump campaign-Russia connection since July. The NSA, FBI, and Department of Justice all report that they have no evidence to support President Trump's claim of President Obama ordering a wiretap on Trump Tower while testifying James Comey worked in some sports, which I found, you oh. know, refreshing. Yeah. It was kind of boring up until then. Comey used a football metaphor that many people can relate to to describe Vladimir Putin's hatred for Hillary Clinton. And I think it's two closely related sides of the same coin. I mean, to put it in a homely metaphor, I hate the New England Patriots. And no matter who they play, I'd like them to lose. And so I'm at the same time rooting against the Patriots and hoping their opponent beats them because there's only two teams on the field. But what the intelligence community concluded was early on, the hatred for Mrs. Clinton was was all the way along. When Mr. Trump became the nominee, there was some sense that it'd be great if he could win, be great if we could help him, but we need to hurt her no matter what. And then it shifted to he has no chance. So let's just focus on undermining her. That was the judgment of the intelligence so even Russia thought Trump didn't have a chance. There you go. Wow. There was also a Texas, Texas Tech metaphor in the middle of all that. Wow. Too. Yeah, that so. But, I mean, Comey like, dissing the Patriots while he's at it. Yeah. Just, I don't know. They've oh, been through enough, haven't they? Yeah. yeah I mean, Man. sad. Republicans released a modified health care bill Monday in an attempt to shore up support among both conservatives and moderates for their legislation to replace the Affordable Care Act before the House votes on Thursday, seven years to the day after President Barack Obama signed the act. Under the modified version of the GOP replacement bill, states would be allowed to require able-bodied Medicaid recipients without dependents to work beginning in October. And states could receive federal funding for the, for the program as a lump sum instead of a per capita allotment for the children and non-disabled, non-elderly adults in uh, taxes imposed by the ACA on the wealthy sectors of the healthcare industry and others to pay for expanded coverage would repeal in 2017 instead of 2018. So they're doing everything they can to make it more appealing to, say, the Freedom Caucus, who have many members have already come out and said they're not going to support this one either. So. Oh, boy. Can't please everybody. No, and, and this isn't going to get a, a CBO rating. They're not going to figure out how much this will cost or who, who, who's <laughs> going to cover. They got in trouble last time. You're not going to do that before Thursday. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Okay. Uh, also, Neil, Judge Neil Gorsuch sat, uh, Gorsuch sat through his first day of confirmation hearings. He tried to present a message of unity in his talking points. The politicians presented a message of division. If you listen to their talking yeah. points, uh, the hearings continue today. I heard last night another 10 hours. Now, this today. is where it gets interesting because yesterday they were just all reading their statements. I believe I called it bloviating yesterday. Yeah, yes. bloviating. Today, everyone's going to start asking questions. They're going to question him. But apparently they say there hasn't been a more prepared justice right. because he's... He's very thorough. The things that have come up like, ooh, look what he did. or yeah. kind of He's reviewed his 2,000 cases. Yes. So you have a question about one of my cases? I will know let's, everything about it. Let's talk case. about it. Let me get a folder. Yeah. And finally, the New England Patriots uh, jersey that vanished after quarterback Tom Brady wore it in his team's fifth Super Bowl victory last month has been found in Mexico. Oh. 
Officials said Monday the jersey and a second one, Brady wore in a championship victory two years earlier, were taken by a former Mexican media executive who had been credentialed to cover the February game in Houston, according to the NFL and law enforcement officials. Mexican authorities found the missing jersey at the home of Martin Mauricio Ortega, a former director of Mexico's La Prensa newspaper, in a raid following the FBI's request. Holy cow. How did they know? I don't know the details. Probably will come out of how, how they did he tracked have it. Both jerseys. Because well, there was a uh, there was a story. They didn't really focus on it that much. But when the the Super Bowl jersey was stolen in uh, what was it February, yeah. there was another kind of story in there that another, one of his one of Brady's other jerseys was also stolen. Does Brady just carry all? Does he like have a jersey bag and he just keeps all his jerseys in the bag? Well, no, it wasn't taken in February. It was taken oh. several years ago. Oh man! See, so this is so he's, this, this has is happened. A That's why he got so mad. Racket. He goes, "Not again! This isn't going to happen." If this is on eBay, mm. you know? <laughs> this sounds like a Liam Neeson movie. Taken, yeah, it is. Taken. Mr. Brady, your yeah. jersey's been taken, but don't worry. What? I have a very special set of skills. <laughs> I will find it, and whoever is responsible, I will kill them. Wow! Wow! You make a great Liam. My middle name is Liam. I know. That's why I said that. Really? Because I remember. I thought I remember you were no. under the impression it's Lamar or Lavette or whatever you've been calling me. Leroy. Leroy. That's what it was. Um, Other than the White House live tweeting, the uh, hearings yesterday it was really quite boring. Very boring. Yeah. But you know, it helped helped me get through the day. Did it really? Yeah. Oh well. Um, interesting though, isn't it interesting that uh, Director Comey? Says he doesn't like the Patriots, yet yeah. his people found the Patriot jersey. Unbiased. Mm-hmm. Unbiased law enforcement. That shows you right there. Why that, didn't that come up in the hearing yesterday? I know. I have no idea. That was important information no to idea. have. Here's, here's a personal friend of the president. Here's some other really good news. Ivanka Trump is mm-hmm. going to get a, an office in the West Wing. Yes. They were saying she might get an office in the East Wing, mm. which is where the First Lady's office is. But no, she's going to get an office in the West Wing, which maybe, you know, maybe it, it tells us that, you know, Trump needs help. Like he needs somebody near and dear that could can, you know, straighten this mess up. Doesn't but he had like a chief of staff. Yeah, that he doesn't listen to him. And he's got like a, a national advisor guy, yeah, spe- Bannon, the special advisor, Darth, special advisor. Ban- Darth Bannon, Darth Bannon. So so what happens when your management structure turns into something flat where there's like 10 people talking to you instead of then you listen to no one okay this is a problem now this is it's real i think it's interesting because donald was known for being such a good administrator a businessman you'd think he would run his team better where'd you get that information well from donald's press guy spicer Spicer, alternative facts gotcha so apparently this is really really similar to how he ran his business yeah well the other weird thing he uses is competition yeah. Amongst his rivals. top advo- advisors. Usually you don't want your top advisors competing for your attention. Which could work in a business situation because yeah. people are trying to get the best deals, do the yeah. best work, but in, outshine in, in the somebody. But in presidency, these people yeah. then go talk to all of their own press people. So one side of the White House has their favorite press that they leak to and the other leak to another. And then there's another leak. They don't even know where that leak came from. It's just leaky. It's just right. leaking. Yeah. Maybe he'll run it like The Apprentice. What do you mean? Well, with everybody competing. He should start firing people. 
You know what I mean? I mean, how many weeks go by before you start firing people on The Apprentice? Not very many. I wouldn't know. Well, he did lose somebody within, what, less than 30 days? Oh, he mm-hmm. did? Yeah. Back to the Russian scandal. <laughs> but he didn't do anything wrong. No. So this is interesting. I mean, uh, Diane Feinstein's like, she's telling her people he's, his days are numbered. Who's? Trump? Diane Feinstein says really? she said it on camera to a bunch of her people questioning her that uh, he's probably going to end up removing himself. Wow. Now, and by, kind of alluding to the idea that there's more data because she's on the Intelligence Committee yeah. that people don't know about and wow. he'll end up removing himself. Okay. Sooner than later. So why don't they kind of move whatever she knows along if it's so I don't know. But that, by the way, that also came right after they asked her. Now, you're 80 years old. Yeah. Isn't it time that we get some fresh blood in there? And then somewhere in there she threw What that are your out. thoughts about term limits, ma'am? <laughs> oh, this political world that we all have to pay attention to. Crazy. Well, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking drones. And uh, what has to happen for a drone to actually be able to deliver a package to your door? So it, and, and make sure it doesn't, you know, turn into a salad chopper or whatever they call that <laughs> a salad shooter you don't want your drone flying on your porch and then tearing up your plants and your family and actually your i don't have any yard tools so if they could just you know kind of hedge those yeah if you could cut the clip hedges, this yeah that'd be great talking drones up next this is the matt townsend show stick with us We have heard the news stories regarding people shooting at drones and they, you know, that they see above their property or organizations asking that drones not be used on their property. Although drones were once used only by the military, they are now taking on a new role in society, such as dropping off packages at the front door. That's the ultimate goal, right? Are drones the future? Here to speak with us today is Michael Brosh, a professor of electrical engineering at The Ohio State University and an expert on drone safety issues. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, just just one, one minor note. I'm actually with Ohio University, which is a oh. university down the road. But, you know what? Oh, uh, yeah. boy. Yeah, let's get that you. right. I don't know why they said the Ohio State, because that them is fighting words out there. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a common mistake. Oh, no thank you. Well, sorry about that. Now, Michael, talk to me about uh, drones, because we hear, we hear Google, um, we hear Amazon, we hear UPS. Drones are the future. They could save millions and millions of dollars of gas and, you know, you know, access uh, to getting getting product and and uh, packages to people. Is, is this real? Is this going to happen, do you think, in the future or is this kind of just a pipe dream? Well, it, it's it's going to happen eventually, but certainly in the near term, there are uh, numerous other value-added services that drones can and are doing. Uh, the delivery aspect is is something that everybody can, you know, it's exciting and people can uh, can can visualize that. But there are you know numerous other uh, things that drones are doing today uh, that are providing value to our society. 
give us an example. What are some what are some of the things drones are doing now? I guess military. We we kind of know they've got a corner on the some of the military market. What else are drones doing that are providing service real time right now? Sure. Well, one of the uh, one of the most common applications is uh, aerial photography. Uh, and one of the, uh, well, there's numerous uh, applications there, but uh, one of the most common ones is in uh, real estate. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, historically you would have had to be stuck with just uh, photographs that the uh, agent took on the ground because, uh, you know, getting an airplane or a helicopter nearby would have been just uh, prohibitively expensive. But uh, now with drones, you can put one of these things up uh, 100 feet above the house and take some really beautiful photos and put that in the listing. In fact, I have friends that have a business and they do this and they'll they can fly the drone through the house. It can take I mean, if it's a big enough house and uh, or the business. And they also um, there's some pretty cool things I'm imagining they could use it for with law enforcement. I mean, it seems like there's there's kind of no end to it. But then all of a sudden, there's a lot of laws and a lot of rights that these drones could uh, infringe upon. Yes. Well, that's been the concern uh, pretty much from the beginning. And, and I've actually seen a, a, a big shift in, uh, in the, the perception and just, just the way drones have been portrayed in the, in the uh, general press and the media, for example, uh, now, five, six, seven years ago, uh, drones were associated solely with military surveillance, and 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 the word spy was almost always used with the word drone. Uh, but then, you know, as we've seen in the last five or six years, uh, with particularly with the proliferation of consumer drones, uh, folks have started to see that. Oh, well, wait a minute, you know, these things can be used for other purposes. Having said that, though. Uh, the privacy concerns are certainly uh, certainly not to be taken lightly. And one of the things we've kind of talked about on the show is like regulating these. Who's who's in charge of regulation, and should should these drones have to face the same you know scrutiny as a helicopter? Um, and because they can cross into airspace, they can interfere with uh with other with with airplanes with helicopters T- talk about who governs the drones well and that's a that's an excellent question um what has typically been the case uh with manned aircraft both well fixed wing airplanes in particular uh helicopters uh somewhat as well uh is that there there's generally a, a minimum altitude uh, below which a manned aircraft cannot descend, uh, and you know it's generally speaking, just just kind of roughly speaking, it's 500 feet above unpopulated areas and a thousand feet above populated areas, and this has been put into you know the federal regulations for for many decades, and and primarily for for the uh, uh, just for the comfort and safety of the people on the ground. Well, uh, with drones, of course, uh, the vast majority of the applications that we're talking about, particularly aerial photography, uh, you know, you need to be closer to the ground. And in fact, for safety purposes, you'd rather have the drones and the manned aircraft separated. Right. So whereas the manned aircraft may be at you know 500 feet or below, above, the drones most likely are, or most 
most of the time are going to be 500 feet or below hmm. uh, just to keep them separated. Now, uh, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, is still in charge of airspace, uh, but when you start to get in close proximity to uh, property, then you, you start to get into issues of property owners' rights and, and uh and things of that nature. Yeah. Does, um, I, I guess, overall, though, because we've kind of gone from just a remote control flying airplane or a flying helicopter, which I guess would have been a drone, to now um, a real classified drones that are even able now apparently to pick up and carry packages, is when there's got to be a ton of engineering issues <laughs> With trying to fly a drone, like UPS had a video that came out of a UPS truck, and they can load the drone uh, packages onto the drone from the truck. They can fly the drone to a bunch of different places. And um, but how? What are the laws that would involve actually delivering packages? Because isn't it? Don't you have to fly uh, line of sight? Uh, you have to be able to see your drone in order to 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 fly it. Isn't that the law? Well, current, currently that's the case, with, with very few exceptions. Yes, you're ab- absolutely correct. In, in the United States, uh, the only uh, commercial operate well, for the most part, the only commercial operations that are permitted are exactly what you said. The drone has to be, uh, has to be within the line of sight of the operator on the ground. And, you know, if you're doing... You know, if you're a real estate agent doing aerial photography of a listing, that's no problem. Yeah. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, that's not going to get you very far for package delivery. Right. And so, yeah, you've, you've absolutely nailed the one of the critical issues uh, that, uh, that the community is facing, and that is how to safely enable these so-called beyond visual line-of-sight operations, basically when the drone is flying far enough away that the operator can't see it anymore. And that's what has to be done for, uh, you know, for effective... Uh, meaningful package delivery and the issues involved there are how do you get the uh, drone to you know keep from crashing into something else yeah. either a person or an obstacle or or another airplane i mean it does have like four blades spinning so um it's kind of a dangerous thing sure you're going to get your pizza but you might also you know become a victim of a drone is i guess this is your job then huh michael that you you and your engineers and, uh, you know, computer science experts, avionic engineers, they have to solve these problems before this can ever be a reality. Indeed, and, and it's something that uh, we and our you know, colleagues in the industry have been working on for, for quite a while now. It turns out that uh, it's, it's not a trivial problem by any stretch. We, oh. we uh, have, you know, humans in, in manned aircraft, and, and, you know, as long as the weather is good, if the weather's bad, of course, you've got air traffic control radar, that kind of thing. But if you're, if you're in good weather, it's up to the human, the pilot, and the cockpit to, the, the word, the phrase is see and avoid. You have to see other aircraft in the vicinity and then do the common sense thing, obviously, avoid them. Well, how do you get a how do you get a, a machine to do that? It turns out it's it's quite difficult, uh, and we have various technologies of 
radar and lasers and camera-based systems and things like that. And each one has its strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and, you know, there are systems being put together which leverage all these sensors, but they tend to be large and heavy and expensive, uh, which if you're, if you're a large drone, that's fine. You, you can accommodate that. But trying to put this onto a small drone uh, turns out to be quite a challenge. Is it uh, so? Are, are you seeing that these companies are investing a lot of money in solving these problems, or are they? Is this just kind of a PR idea that they keep putting out there? Well, no. There's definitely there's definitely investment going on, and uh, you see, you know, practically on a weekly basis, you see announcements in the industry of of various uh, uh, sense and avoid type technologies that are either being under development or test or uh, things of that nature. So the the industry is certainly taking this very seriously. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break and continue this discussion in a few minutes. We're speaking with Michael Brosh. He is a professor at the Russ College of Engineering and Technology at Ohio University and is uh, an electrical engineering, computer science, avionics um, professor there and is is walking us through all we need to know about drones and and the reality of them someday delivering anything to your front porch without you know creating a problem for you and the family interesting stuff folks it is the future stick with us we'll be back continue the discussion here Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking drones and drone package delivery. What would it actually take to get a package, you know, to fly on a drone from a truck, a UPS truck, let's say, maybe a couple miles to your house and safely deliver the package on your porch? Is that possible? Well, joining us is uh, Michael Brosh. Michael is a professor of electrical engineering at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. He's been conducting navigation systems research for the past 30 years, and for the past 50 years, his research has included drones. He's also a licensed professional engineer um, as well as an instrument-rated commercial pilot, so he helps us uh, – he also you know, understands the aviation issues as well. So, Michael, thank you again for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. So as far as the ability to deliver a package, there are drones big enough to pick them up to carry them. But uh, one of the problems is to uh, avoid the obstacles. What are some solutions that you've seen in the engineering world coming out that might help the ability to uh, to do that without, you know, hitting an obstacle? Well, there's a couple of, uh, couple of things that we uh, are looking at. One, uh, for... Uh, en route navigation, where you're just trying to get from point to point, is to uh, is essentially to fly uh, at a sufficiently high altitude that you're uh, you don't have any uh, obstacles to worry about. Essentially, you're above the trees and buildings, that kind of thing. The the hard part is is when you're taking off and landing, uh, and that's where you're obviously in close proximity to to all of these kinds of obstacles and. And, uh, you know, we have three primary types of uh, sensors that we use uh, in that regard. Uh, one is radar. Uh, one is a, a, a laser version of radar that we call uh, a LIDAR. Uh, 
And then uh, the third type is essentially conventional uh, camera systems. Mm. Uh, they're referred to as electro-optic systems, but basically they're just fancy cameras. So then you got to watch the camera and make sure you're noticing the power line. But a LIDAR, I guess, or a radar would pick up uh, power lines, it would pick up trees, and then the the – I guess the computer on board would just navigate it through those obstacles. Yeah, the, the, absolutely. The, uh, the the tricky part in this is to you know process the data that the sensor is providing uh, and make sure that you are correctly identifying the obstacles that are nearby, and then also making sure that you're not being uh, bothered by what we call false alarms if the if the sensor erroneously says, "Oh, there's a you know there's an obstacle out there," when there isn't, then that that can you know, obviously cause some disruptions as well. It turns out that each of these sensors has you know has strengths and differences. Not surprisingly, a, a, a laser-based system uh, is not going to work very well in in certain kinds of smoky and foggy conditions. Mm. Whereas a radar can see right through that, so uh, the, basically the the long term solution is is going to be an integration of of two or three of these sensors in order to get a, a more complete picture of what's actually around you. But then I guess you're also talking cost, right? Because then everything you add to this and weight, uh, so these then have to be bigger and bigger drones. I'm assuming. Yeah, well, that's that's the catch. Yeah, exactly. The, every, every time you add on a new sensor, you are adding size, weight, power, and, and cost uh, requirements onto the thing. Uh, one uh, aspect of the sensor development that's that's we're going to benefit from is uh, the work on autonomous uh, vehicles. Huh. So they have you know similar concerns of size, weight, power, uh, and it's a potentially a much, much larger market. So uh, what, what I'm anticipating happening is that sensors being developed for the uh, autonomous uh, uh, automobile market will, and we'll, we'll be able to leverage that uh, in, the, uh, in the drone industry as mm. well. You also have um, this idea that, I mean, eventually it's, you're, they're going to have to be avoiding other drones. I mean, I can see a day when, you know, you've got a lot of drones flying around. Do, do you how how do you see this happening? I mean, I guess a lot of major laws and management and I mean, how are the air traffic controllers going to handle it and how do they currently interact or do they interact with drones? Well, that's a great question, and, and of course, uh, to a certain extent, our modern air traffic control system, uh, it has been developed partially in response to uh, a legacy system back, you know, a hundred years ago, where there there was no radar, and 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 there was a famous accident in the 1950s of uh, over the Grand Canyon where two passenger uh, jets ended up colliding and and you know it was a horrendous loss of life and and as a response to that uh you know the FAA uh, came into being and the the entire uh, air traffic surveillance network with radar and and all of this stuff led to what we have today so um how are drones going to fit into that mix well 
couple of things. One, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're likely going to have a segregation of, of airspace. Higher altitudes are mostly going to be for for manned aircraft, lower altitudes for the drones. Uh, you'll still have the issue of how do the drones stay away from each other. Uh, and that'll be handled through a combination of uh, procedures, so over certain airspace, you know, drones flying in certain directions will be at certain altitudes, and if you're flying in an opposite direction, you'll be at a different altitude. Hmm. That's that's the way we handle it for manned aircraft. This is still in development. NASA has entire research programs on basically drone air traffic control. Ultimately, though, there will be a need for each drone to be able to see and avoid other nearby drones. Do you think uh, you've been through pilot training and you've been through instrument certification? Do you think there will be a day where drone operators will be required to get similar, you know, licensing, similar ratings? Oh, they already are. Are uh, they? As a matter of fact, the uh, um, the FAA put into place. Uh, well, prior to this rule, um, there was no uh, easy provision for folks to fly drones commercially uh, except through a, uh, a waiver process. But last year they put in place a new regulation. It's called Part 107, uh, and it's for so-called small UAVs, basically those UAVs less than 55 pounds. Uh, and if you want to operate commercially, uh, then, uh, yeah, there's the, you, you have to get a license. And oh, wow. You have to learn about uh, airspace rules and regulations and, and things of this nature. That's great. I mean, so at least we're we're doing something, right, to, to, to make sure that not anyone can put them out there. Because, again, we hear stories of, you know, near midair collisions with drones, near airports. I mean, I know there's laws about that. I guess in the end, what uh, what else would you – what else do you – excite you as a professor that studies this, that is working on this? Where else do you see that these will benefit us? Well, uh, it's, so a couple of things. One, you, you, you did mention that, uh, you know, there, there are these sightings of drones in, in places where they shouldn't be. And so one of the big challenges we have in the industry is, uh, to a certain extent, just uh, public awareness and, and education. Uh, you, you've got folks that, that fly these things and, and may not necessarily be aware of the danger they're posing if they're flying them close to airports, things of that nature. So that's one of the challenges that we have is just better, uh, better uh, public awareness. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, having said that, uh, on the positive side, you know, where, where you know, can these things uh, m- you know, make the most impact? Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the ways that I see uh, that it'll, it'll help tremendously is in uh, what we call infrastructure inspection. And so you have, say, uh, very tall radio towers, hmm. or you have uh, wind uh, turbines for for power generation. You know these these humongous uh, wind turbines. Uh, you know this infrastructure has to be inspected to see if parts are starting to wear out or fail or corrode. You know things of this nature. And historically, we've had to send humans up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet into the into the air in order to to look at these things, and you know. Not surprisingly, accidents happen. People die as a result of these inspections. Uh, we may very well be able to eliminate that uh, by using drones. You know, send the drone up there with a high-resolution camera, 
uh, take a look at the bridge or the tower or the you know the uh, the wind turbine and, and do your inspection all from the safety of the ground. I think that's I mean just that uh, plus you know fi- fighting fires. I mean sending being able to send drones up in certain places I think could be valuable. There's 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 so many I think powerful opportunities that technology can can help us with and secure our even lives if if we just know how to manage it, manage it and make it work. Well, we appreciate you, Michael Brosh. Thank you again and uh, your great work there at Ohio University. Um, boy, thank heavens there's some people thinking about this, right? Can you imagine if all of a sudden we just were making the laws without? some experts behind the scene trying to figure out what the laws need to look like. We'll take a break, come back, continue uh, giving you the insight, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, we're, we've talked Trump. We're going back to Trump. One of the things that's happening with President Trump as the as the president, a lot of CEOs, corporate leaders, they they now are a little worried because Trump could immediately put your company on notice. Trump could immediately, once he puts your company on notice for doing something he doesn't like. Then you could have your stock drop. Trump said last night he was in Kentucky. Yeah. He had a, uh, a rally because that's what you do. Um, he spoke about Colin Kaepernick. Now, he's the quarterback yeah. of the 49ers who would take a knee during the national anthem. Trump says that no no NFL team is, is looking to sign Colin Kaepernick as a quarterback because they're afraid of the Trump backlash on Twitter. That would he, that he guarantees what happened because he's not respecting the flag. So he's taking some credit for this. Yes. Okay. So whether that's true or not, that's that sort of perception. He influences am, amongst companies. There yeah. are CEOs in Silicon Valley, in CEOs in Detroit with the auto companies, CEO in all kinds of uh, yeah. industries across the across the spectrum. There that are they have their social media teams up at three a.m. Eastern. You know, so on the West Coast, that's like what one o'clock, midnight, something like that, where these people are up <laughs> waiting for Donald Trump to tweet something because they don't want to wake up no. and their company's been a, been a featured in his Twitter feed. You could lose millions, hundreds of millions. Yeah, so they're out there trying to combat this. So, okay, uh, I found this on there's a website called Axios. It's a new kind yeah. of a news website. It's uh, conversations with executives, top CEOs, and here's some of their tips of people who have dealt with Trump in business, and now you have to walk in and talk to him in the White House. Step one, get to the table, whether you love him or not. Go to the table, because many are saying, hey, Jeff Bezos ought not be sitting down at the table with Trump, because he's... Nobody likes him, but they're saying get to the table. You got to get face to face with this guy. Talk to him. He's, he's a transactional guy. He wants to see you. Yeah. Step two was give him something he can call a win. Some companies are like, "Hey, we're announcing some jobs that they announced a year and a half ago that they were going to do anyways." And they let but Trump announce Trump takes the credit. That's not a bad idea. Then he feels like if hey, you're going to have an increase in jobs, tell Trump. They say he has an elastic view of winning. Yeah. He just wants to put his name on the winning. Uh, find a uh, three is find and exploit common ground. 
find and exploit common ground. People, real estate, politics, private aircraft. Trump has been most engaged and open-minded when dealing with aerospace companies, partly because he can talk planes because, you know, he owns one. And uh, infrastructure execs because he spent his career building high-rises. He has a surface level at best understanding of most policies. So go in for uh, don't, going in for any sort of policy yeah, discussion. Yeah, don't go deep. Work. No, no, no. Just talk. Hey, I have golf clubs. You have golf clubs. Do you want to do a golf club deal? So talk on something he's going to yeah, relate to. Smart. Four. Know that he's a vindictive guy who harbors grudges long beyond the moment. So don't cross. Don't him. tick him off. <laughs> That's great advice. And five. Work Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner both men sit in on key meetings and often get Trump alone afterwards to shape reaction and follow up to the interaction. Both are accessible by text and cell and like playing the role of Trump whisperer. Uh, really? So get them, get the Trump whisperers involved. Yeah. Those are his influencers. Probably now Ivanka, if, if you're, if well, that's yeah. more to your advantage, if you run a company, maybe she's the one you go after. Trudeau, they're saying Trudeau from Canada is really getting well, Ivanka involved. Right, yeah. Maybe over-involved. Possibly. That's weird. You can't even have a friend mm. in politics without everybody thinking there's more going on. Right. If you look at the photographs, it'll come out of that. It's kind of weird. Um... <laughs> Okay, well, that's great advice because I know uh, Jeff wanted to pitch a, a, an idea to Donald Trump. Well, a, it was a different Don. Oh, what Don? Oh, yeah. Don Shaline. Oh, Don. Oh, that Don. Our Don. Okay. I thought you were talking about Donald Trump. You wanted to pitch a new show, but I guess well, he's a he media. probably wouldn't have a lot of say in that. Well, he's a media mogul. No, he don't get me wrong. Yeah, he'd probably have some great advice. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, he would have to answer to Don Shaline. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. We all answer to Don Shaline. Let's not be, let's not lie. Hey, uh, interesting. Again, it's just, the president's just getting started. He's in day, what, 60-something. Seems like, you know. 160. No, he's just getting started. And so, you know, he's still got he's still got legs, he's still got time. Don't believe the press. Don't well, believe part of what they're saying. Don't believe everything they're saying. That's what Donald's taught us. Don't believe everything the press is saying. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll continue the journey to help you, you know, get a leg up in life. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy, happy days are here again. By the way, Common Courtesy Day. Common Courtesy Day came into existence so that we can all spread the gospel of courtesy that we feel the world should contain. At the end of the day, that's what this is all about. You know, common courtesies like opening the door for somebody. How about just saying hello? How about uh, a smile once in a while? You actually pushed the door closed when I was like halfway through it. Yeah, I didn't see you there. Hmm. I And then when you started squealing... I didn't hear you there either. 
then how weird. do then who told you I squealed? Security. Oh. Yeah. They're like, did you hear that? Did you hear that guy squealing? So that was you that sent them sent security to me? I think actually Terry did. Yeah. Once we saw the blood. We like we got we better send security. It's also World Poetry Day. A celebration of poetry for everyone everywhere. It's a chance for you to use poetry to say things that can't be said in prose. In fact, Terry's been using a lot of poetry today. He's he sat and just read us some really wonderful uh, thoughts, and yeah. I've never seen you as motivated. Well, it was. It was really. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of deep thoughts there. A lot well, of things I wanted to share. Yeah, yeah. Just get out into the the atmosphere of the room. Try to cheer everyone up on a on a Tuesday. And you thought poetry because it's. Poetry. Well, it wasn't really poetry. It was more just sort of some thoughts from yeah. from people yeah. talking about things. Matt, you too are a poet, uh-huh. and I bet you didn't even know it. No, I didn't. Don't blow it. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. We're going to continue this. Is that, a, is that a poem? Just throw it. We're just using the word it. It's not really poetry. <laughs> Uh, Today we will also be reviewing body language, some tricks of how to communicate more effectively, understanding body language, mastering nonverbal communication skills. A lot of this is for Jeff uh, ever since the HR incident. So when I was stuck halfway through that door, what was my body language telling you? I remember I didn't notice your body Hmm. or the squeal. But I'm going to bet if I had been paying attention, then I would have noticed that you were present and didn't want to be shut in the door. I would have noticed that. And then I wouldn't have pushed as hard and locked it while I was pushing on you. So uh, we'll be talking about that fun body language information. It's it's always good. It's a, it, We're replaying an, an interview we did with Vanessa Van Edwards. She'll be joining us. Plus, a, a really interesting sleepy Colorado town comes alive during frozen dead guys days. It's a, it's a holiday many people overlook, but uh, it's huh. one you won't want to overlook. Frozen dead guy days. You know, if that doesn't get you excited and want to come back... I don't know what to do for you. I really don't. It's just you're, you're impossible. So stick with us. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump is holding a meeting as we speak with uh, people talking about health care, talking about trying to get the health care bill moved through. He's right trying this to, very minute. He is at the Capitol. He's talking with legislation, members of Congress trying to get people to support it. A lot of Republicans are still kind of on the on the fence. Yeah. Some will actually, you know, cave and go with it. Others are deciding to stand against it. But according to this, it says he starts the conference meeting talking about the size of the crowd last night in Kentucky at the rally. He goes, we won't have crowds like this if we don't get this done. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> so, again, why is the president doing a rally? I thought the, the election was over. No, he loves the rally. That's so now he, the rally is now well, it's just you, you wake up in the morning, find out that it's you have like a thirty-seven percent approval rating rally. So then you go to Kentucky and stand in front of a couple thousand yeah. people, and you're like, seriously, these rally people time. love me. Yeah, that's good. Okay, 
So, Makes sense. Just kind of what he's thinking. President Trump still ready, isn't ready to walk back his claims that the former President Barack Obama wiretapped his phones on Trump Tower during the election. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said Monday that uh, the insistence that he, they insisted that Trump would not apologize to Obama for making the change without evidence uh, came on the heels of FBI Director James Comey making this announcement at Monday's House Intelligence Committee hearing on Russia. With respect to the president's tweets about alleged wiretapping directed at him by the prior administration, I have no information that supports those tweets, and we have looked carefully inside the FBI. The Department of Justice has asked me to share with you that the answer is the same for the Department of Justice and all its components. The department has no information that supports those tweets. Okay. There you go. Spicer in his press conference insisted it's clear nothing has changed, arguing that investigating it and having proof are different things. So let me make sure that I get this straight. Yeah. So the DOJ says no, no, uh, no wiretapping, no surveillance. Right. FBI, no wiretapping, no surveillance. The intelligence committees of the Senate and Congress, no wiretapping. Okay, okay. Yeah. So pretty much, the four big government agencies say it's not happening. Wrong. Right? Correct. Okay. Wrong. So, all right. But that's different because investigating it and having proof are different things. You're wrong. There you go. Okay. After more than three hours of listening, Judge Neil Gorsuch finally spoke up on his own confirmation hearing, sending a message of unity despite the fraud atmosphere surrounding his nomination. Hmm. He says, long before we are Republicans or Democrats, we are Americans. That's true. That's a good point. A Monday point. was the first day of four hearings on the Gorsuch, a federal appeals court judge from Colorado, likely to care. Uh, carry on the conservative legacy of the late Justice Antonin Scalia. It was also a setting for Democrats to revisit their feelings about the snub of last year of President Obama's nominee, Judge Merrick Garland. Yeah, they're still they're still mad about that. Yeah. So Gorsuch pushed back on those who described judges as politicians in robes. Don't you think um, that Congress could take a lesson from all of us where maybe we offended our wife yeah. last year? Uh-huh. And she just needs to let it go now. Well. And let's just go with the new thing now. Possibly. Just let it go. See what happens. Okay. Maybe they need a relationship counselor. Are you free? Uh, I, I think I'm free Friday. Nice. They could no, be. I think he meant, is it no cost? Well, there's that too. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not free. Uh, infant mortality rates across the U.S. have dropped 15% over the past decade, according Sweet. to new Centers for Disease Control Prevention figures between 20... 20- Toward 2005 and 2014, the study shows that the infant mortality rate dropped from 5.82 infant deaths per 1,000. Uh, so it dropped to 5 from 6. So it dropped to great. however many that is. Incident of sudden infant death syndrome alone dropped by 29%. However, wow. despite the overall drop, babies born to non-Hispanic black women still have a mortality rate more than twice that of non-Hispanic white women, according to CDC figures. So overall, it's dropped, but in some areas... It's fairly high. And I'm assuming that's education and access. I imagine maybe so. That's ac- maybe that has something to do with Obamacare. Maybe. Getting prenatal care. Could. I don't know. Who I mean, knows? What else could it be attributed to? I don't know. But the SIDS numbers are incredible. That's great. And maybe that's their, their new rules about sleeping, how your baby's supposed to not sleep on its belly. Except all it wants to do is flip over. <laughs> Except it's just not natural. My doctor told us that if the baby wants to flip over, yeah. by the time it can flip over, it's probably past the SIDS phase. 
There you go. We're like, that's all right, good. good. That's good. That's a good tip. And finally, a park in Beijing has installed toilet paper dispensers with facial recognition to stop visitors from taking too much paper. What? Machines at the Temple of Heaven Park scans visitors' faces before dispensing a fixed-length strip of paper. Six inches is all you get. The tourist attraction is reportedly frequented by visitors who take large amounts of paper home. Oh, really? They come in, stuff it into purses and bags, and run away. It has uh, reignited the debate over the lack of social graces among some Chinese. Park officials have installed six machines at its public bathrooms in a half-month trial with the staff on standby to explain the technology for visitors. So now there's just people standing around in the bathrooms. Right, too. right. The new machine dispenses strips of toilet paper measuring about 24 inches to 27.5 inches <laughs> for each person. Wow. They will not dispense more paper to the same person until after nine minutes have passed. Because they've scanned your face, they know. No, but like, let's say you just needed more for w- whatever reason. You have to wait nine minutes. If a person needs more, attendants will supply the needed amount. And if you attempt to hack the system, here's what happens. Oh, 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 violent. Wow. Wow. The, wow. Par- the park also recently upgraded the toilet paper's quality from one ply. To no wonder they're guarding it so tightly. <laughs> they got the good stuff. Just wait and see what happens when it becomes three ply. Yeah, you get one square. Fort Knox, man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they they have some uh, toilet paper theft. See, the, the, so they're trying to fix although it. Although that was in Japan, China. Oh, in China. How isn't that different? Because you know, you go to one of our forest services. Yeah. They if they don't have paper. They don't care. They're so like they just bring your tree. Just here. deal with it. Deal with it. Sorry, <laughs> we just don't have paper this week. Sorry, you're gonna have to wait a week. Yeah. How about that? Nine minutes. Oh boy, that's the longest nine minutes of your life. Feels like Russia when we're rationing out toilet paper. Yeah, but you know what? They do give you twenty-four to twenty-seven and a half inches of paper. Yeah, use it wisely. Don't forget your ration card. <laughs> Honey, save 10 inches there for me. (laughs) This is crazy. Hey, uh, great uh, news out of sleepy Colorado town. It comes alive during the frozen dead guy days. In Nederland, Colorado, every March, the cryogenically frozen corpse of a Norwegian man breathes fresh life into a sleepy Nederland, Colorado, where throngs of fun lovers fill the streets for frozen dead guy days, a festival in honor of the town's most famous resident. The annual three-day festival is the brainchild of a local businesswoman who came up with the whimsical idea 16 years ago as a way to attract visitors to Nederland, where the man's body has laid in repose in a shed since 1993. <laughs> He's in a shed. The event topped her wildest expectations from a modest crowd of 1,000 the first year. Now the festival draws about 20,000 ve- uh, visitors. Many of them dress in Halloween costumes as they revel in such quirky events as the Polar Plunge, the Frozen Salmon Toss, Musical Acts, and a Costume Ball. It's good times. Frozen dead guy, rest in peace. You wanted to cry, hygienically freeze. They laid you down in the shed. Awesome, man. That's a, wow. You can tell that's a party. Wow. party. You know, the party begins with a parade of a dozen hearses, followed by a coffin race through the streets of the Rocky Mountain town, where temperatures hovered just above the freezing mark. 
Mm. Good times, folks. <laughs> See, Good this times. is the kind of thing that in a place like Seattle, people would take major offense to. Really? Why? Oh, yeah. Why? They look for excuses to be offended there. They don't love a good party? No. They, these are the people that will be upset when you go to Pike's Place Market and they're tossing the yeah, fish tossing as the a fish. show. Yeah. No, but in Colorado, it's frozen salmon. That's even more fun to toss. <laughs> the coffin race, you don't want to miss that. No. The kids. How fun would that be to just put your kids in the coffin? Like a soapbox derby type yeah, thing? Yeah, let them yeah. experience the old coffin. Yeah. You know the coffin race. It's a dead heat. <laughs> Does that make you want to go to that town? Oh yeah, I'm going there for sure. Right. Darn it, I'm sad. I missed Frozen Dead Guy days it'll, this year. He'll come back next year. He just sits in a shed all year. You know what I love is it has that it has that kind of hint of Norway. Mm. You know where there's apparently a lot of frozen dead guys <laughs> that they, you know, yeah. So this guy was a native from Norway in 1989 with the hope uh, that low temperature – he moved here with the hope that low temperatures will allow him to be resuscitated. Well, he didn't move him. His family moved him and uh, it didn't Uh, work. Really? No. He didn't make it. He didn't make it out. Now he's just sort of stuck in Colorado? Yeah. Well, not stuck. Probably not. He's – He's celebrated. He's – yeah. He's the hero. He has a day. Did they they like put him out put him on a float or something? Yeah. Roll him down Main Street? Like an ice, like an ice brick. Yeah, that's just the greatest thing. It's it's. I think it's wonderful. And again, celebrating the dead. I mean, do you think they have him in a block of ice, or is he just kind of chilled? Oh, he's chilled in a block. I, I, he's. I don't know. They don't tell you how they have him. Yeah, I mean, there's cryogenically but, frozen. You're in some like box somewhere, but but you want to be like Han Solo, yeah. like frozen, but not in. Whatever, not carbonite. Not, yeah, not carbonite. So how many people can say that they're helping the economy after they pass away? Yeah, exactly. Unless you're a celebrity. Right. I mean, he, just think of it. To be able to be remembered by 20,000 people every year, you know you've changed the world. Do you think they have his whole life story? No. No? Think they just, here's the dead guy? <laughs> I, think they, I think they just needed a reason to party. And they found it. Oh, great. You know what I mean? It's not. Is it, there alcohol involved? It's not necessarily. I doubt it. It's not necessarily why you party. It's that you party. That's See, now important. you're going back to po- world poetry days. Yeah, Because yeah. you were so moved. I should write that down. That was pretty good. That was really I think good. I made that up myself. Speaking of parties, we do have a video we're going to put up on our Twitter page of some toddlers that decided to oh, yeah. skip sleep and have a party in their bedroom in the middle of the night. The proud parents of twin boys in New York found out that their toddlers seemed like they hadn't been sleeping through the night recently because the toddlers definitely weren't sleeping. Video recorded by Jonathan and Susanna Balkin shows that their two-year-old twins, Andrew and Ryan, having gymnastics roll around instead of getting much sleep. The boys uh, easily climbed in and out of their beds for hours. And, which their beds were side by side, and they proceeded to line pillows up along the floor, do somersaults, and take rests on the couch together before going back to their floor exercises. Dad enters the room to put the boys back in their cribs. Then on the video, you can find them sneaking back out of their beds and building, uh, you know, building what are they called? Forts, mountains of pillows, and cover and putting covers on themselves. Uh, you know, all just having fun. The calm was uh, only temporary. As soon as dad left, they were, you know, they're back at it again. The video shows the boys spending significant amount of time sitting close together and chatting on a love seat. 
The video is hilarious because it shows you two-year-old kids, you know, you can't trust those little rascals. No. My two-year-old finally went to sleep about two hours after we put her down last night. Really? But she wasn't doing fun stuff like this. She wasn't just minding her own business. What was she doing? She just kept coming to the door, you know, calling our name, asking for water, (laughs) and then calling our name. And when we got there, not really quite remembering why she was calling us. Do you know what you do? Um, Try this. Just, you know, I've had six kids. Um, This is where you introduce the scary monster on the floor and that they have to stay in bed or – the monster will get them. Just an idea. You're a monster. Thank you. Or – and just say, honey, if you don't go to bed now, then we are leaving and going to Colorado and we're going to go to Frozen Dead Guy days. Get in bed. And then I might become a Frozen Dead Guy and then you'll have no parents. <gasps> Yeah. See, now, why did that cross the line? I don't know. See, that Everything you said was no. horrible. Well, not really, but I didn't involve your death. See, you don't want to traumatize them. Again, you're new at this. That I understand. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk during the break, help you through that. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, what is your body language actually saying? Mastering nonverbal communication skills. That's up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. I went to BYU with the intention of finishing my degree. Along the way, things got a little bit busy. I always had that idea that I was going to go back, but as a non-traditional student, I just felt that uh, that opportunity was not going to happen until I explored what BGS really offered. The BGS program gave me more flexibility and gave me the education that I wanted. As I was walking to the podium, it uh, was almost surreal. I don't regret getting my degree through BGS. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Weird Al Yankovic for you. Word crimes. You know what? Communication's a tough deal, and yet there's so much going on with the body that might help you cut through what people are saying. For example, just notice. Check your posture right now. Are you sitting or standing straight up? Are you standing with your arms crossed protectively or open with a relaxed posture? Our body language can communicate a lot to our neighbors, sometimes without realizing what we're saying. We say quite a lot. And for the last eight years, our next guest, Vanessa Van Edwards, and the Science of People have developed and presented on a program that coaches uh, people on body language. She joins us now from Los Angeles to walk us through some of the great learnings that she teaches. Vanessa, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And so if people are interested, they go to your website, scienceofpeople.com, and talk to us, Vanessa, about body language. I mean, there's one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Paul Watzlawick that uh, was a communication kind of guru, and he said, um, one cannot not communicate, right? We're always communicating, and that's that's what you profess. The body is constantly saying stuff. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about body language is we talk about nonverbal and it, it kind of leaks out, right? We have not only our facial expressions, but also how we hold our body. 
and then micro messages. And micro messages are very small messages that we send and decode from others. And we cannot help but send and read those messages. Right. I mean, and, and, you, and you even say we're reading them naturally no matter what, even if it's like subconscious. Yeah, and, and, and we know this intuitively. You know, if you talk to um, a woman and she says, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I just felt like those women didn't like me, mm-hmm. right? You know, that, that's, that's something you hear said a lot. And there is something to the nonverbal of those micro-messages. We have people who avert their eyes, people who slightly angle their body away. Even um, we found by looking at toe behavior, this sounds crazy, but go yeah. with me for a minute, So our brain loves to move towards things that we like. So, for example, if you're in an office party, one of my favorite things to do is to go to office parties and try to guess who has a crush on who. Hmm. The best way to do this is to walk into an office party and just look at the direction of feet. And the reason is because we typically orient our feet towards either the boss or the person that we are most attracted to. And that's we can't even help that. Our brain likes to move us or orient us towards that person that we are most interested in. Hmm. And so all kinds of non-rural messages come out that we are very, very, um, that it's kind of under our awareness. That is so interesting. No wonder bosses <laughs> think everybody, that's, that's right. That's why the boss thinks everybody loves him. Because... Exactly. They're getting the micro messages. Or if you secretly don't like your boss, you have to be really careful because that's what, what we're talking about here when we're, when we're looking at nonverbal is something called decoding and something called encoding. Decoding is, I think, a little bit more fun, right? You're picking up little cues. You're looking for hidden messages. You're picking apart subtle things to try to figure out their meaning. Whereas encoding is when we have an idea that we are trying to portray through our body language. So when you secretly don't like someone or don't like your boss, what happens is your brain gets very confused for encoding. Your brain wants to show, you know, I like you, right? You want to show respect right. for the boss. But the other part of your brain, the little, the sneaky part of your brain goes, but I really don't like you. And so you end up sending very confused messages, and that is often picked up on by the other person. And so you have to be very careful to make sure that you're, I think that's where authenticity comes in. You hear that word? All the time. Yeah. Um, I think authenticity is when you align your nonverbal with your thoughts. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, you're you're in you're incongruity. You're I mean you're congruous. You're finally aligned. Exactly. And I, that is the goal. I think that when we're talking about when you're thinking about going on a date or going into a business meeting or talking to your kids, your number one goal is actually not let me encode the right messages. Your number one goal is how can I get in the right mind space to align my nonverbal correctly. And and there's a there's a real science to this. I mean, it seems like this used to be harder to validate or to prove, but with as we're improving in our ability to do certain, um, you know, certain studies, now we can figure out really what people are meaning to do. So, t- tell us some more of the science behind this. Sure. Um, so you're right. We kind of used to guess, right? We used to sort of look at things and say, "Hmm, that feels suspicious." I bet that means anger. Um, The real body language research academically um, started after the first presidential debate between Nixon and Kennedy. It was a very interesting time in our history. I highly recommend 
going to YouTube and watching some old clips. What was interesting about that time period is it was the first presidential debate where about half the population listened to the debate on the radio and about half the population watched the debate on television. And what happened is, is everyone who watched the debate was sure that Kennedy won. Now, mm. Kennedy, a little bit of background, he was tan and really had been prepped. He had practiced. He was nice and relaxed. Whereas Nixon had just been released from the hospital from a knee injury, and he was underweight, he was feeling sick, um, he was sweating profusely. And so everyone who listened to the debate was sure that Nixon won. And it was the first time in U.S. history where we had this discrepancy. And that was when academic institutions started paying attention to nonverbal. They were thinking, you know, maybe there's something to this, this body language communication. So from that point on, we have the first set of robust studies looking at what are the patterns how do we communicate across cultures and how can we learn those patterns to leverage? That's, I mean, and everyone remembers the sweating. <laughs> I mean, that is, and then all of a sudden it got into a bunch of other stuff. Presidents can't cry, right? Yeah. And like, in, in fact, that became a big deal just a few uh, weeks ago or a week or so ago when, mm-hmm. when President Obama was crying. But and, and I think even Mitt Romney struggled with being able to convince – to feel comfortable in certain situations. And so people maybe saw that incongruent behavior between body language and in his, his goals. Um, how, how, do we, how do we learn all of these? I mean is it possible – and is it possible maybe to get so caught up in the technique of body language mm-hmm. that we ourselves become less effective? Absolutely. Um, I think that what can happen sometimes, and we have a lot of trouble when we teach body language because of that exact reason. If you are trying to figure out the technique or learn cue by cue, right? Like um, we're talking about presidents because this is a, a big year for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's on our website. I, I also write for the Huffington Post. We critique a lot of the presidents in the media. And they, you know, if you want to run as a presidential candidate, there is presidential body language. Um, you'll notice. If you watch old, old videos of President Obama, he used to point when he spoke. He would make his emphasis and he would point with his index finger. Um, That is not considered presidential body language. So he was coached out of that. And now he uses um, that light thumb, that like kind of light fist, you know, if you put your thumb on top of it. Yeah. And he makes that point. And he was coached to do that. That is because in our brains. As, as Americans, we are taught that as a presidential thing to do. They also have a presidential, uh, when we're talking about vocal variety, um, body language and nonverbal, I also count vocal variety, how we express our opinions and our confidence through, vocal, through our vocal cords. And so they're also coached to have that booming presidential um, uh, way of speaking. You know, Obama will, has been coached as well as he's honed his natural way of speaking so that he says, he, he talks in, in kind of a rhythm so that you hear you hear that rhythm and he goes fast with that rhythm. And that's the same rhythm that we hear um, when uh, President George W. Bush, he, even though he had an accent, even though he had a totally different accent than Obama, he also had uh, a kind of rhythm that he spoke with. And that is because that is a U.S. presidential rhythm. Now, back to your question, can you learn that? What Obama, both President Obama and President George W. Bush did, is they took a, a seed of what was already natural to them, right? Like, George W. Bush was not coached out of his accent. Right. Obama was not coached out of his speaking style. But they did dial it up or dial it down. I think that's the key, is if you take what naturally comes to you, 
So, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, how are you sitting right now? So however you're sitting or standing right now as you're listening, um, the small, minute adjustment, if I could make any adjustment, it would be to just slowly roll your shoulders down and back, whether you're sitting or standing or your arms are crossed or not. Just that gesture tends to indicate higher confidence people watching and it also produces more testosterone for you. So it's small adjustments that actually, it's like a golf swing, right? You make a very small micro adjustment and it has a huge effect on your game. So this is really about recognizing maybe more your style first and foremost and then taking and kind of take take a seed of what you do already, good and bad, and either dial down the, the negative thing you do and or dial up the positive thing you do. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it this way, so think about for a second your first impression. This is right when you first meet someone. What is the first word that you want to pop into their head when they meet you? Is it confident, intelligent, witty, powerful, whatever that word is? How can you portray that word? How can you dial up or dial down? I, I think that it's, it's really great to think about our ideal first impression because yeah. our first impression is a huge part of um, our uh, overall nonverbal. That's so true, isn't it? And we, we don't ever kind of anticipate that. We don't think that through. So instead, we might just go with, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. And then you come off tired. <laughs> or, or worse. You say, oh, I'm tired. I really don't want to go to this, but I'm going to force myself to go because I should make an appearance. <laughs> and you show up and you're trying to hide your tiredness. Not only are you coming across as a little tired, but you're also coming across as fake. Fake tired doesn't want to be there. How are you, no, Jim? Exactly. Yeah, it's like that'll just kill you. Oh, exactly. this, this is fascinating. Good stuff. Uh, let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Vanessa Van Edwards from the website scienceofpeople.com. You can go check out a lot of her, her, her website, her great uh, information there. I mean, really, when you think about this, uh, this is not this – is, this is you being human. This is you figuring out how to impact and, and portray you, you, your brand, who you are. So stick with us, folks. We'll continue the lesson on body language More with Vanessa Van Edwards after the break. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know what? Whether you mean to or not, your body is constantly telling the real truth. It's telling the story to everyone around you. You know, your attention, uh, your eye contact, your handshake. And uh, joining us is Vanessa Van Edwards um, from the website scienceofpeople.com. She is um, an expert in body language and is walking us through some of the tricks, the keys to uh, your body language, what we need to kind of know and uh, and pay attention to when it comes to our body language and the language of others. Vanessa, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. This is this is super good stuff. And again, I don't think you can't know enough about this stuff. But like you're saying, we don't need to do it to, to like go try to be all techniquey with people. We instead we just need to. We just need to pay attention to it and to maybe adapt our behavior to be more healthy. Exactly. Yes. I think it's absolutely one of those things that we can conquer 
uh, law by law. There's just body language laws, and you can learn them. And I liken it to watching the world in HD. When I first started learning body language, all these things that I've been seeing my whole life, I just never noticed. Hmm. That's so true, huh? You're just used to standard def, and now you're in high def, which gives you a lot, a lot of information. How? What percentage of our communication is actually coming from our body language? It's a great question. So that's very hard to pinpoint. There's a number of studies that say it's around 60%. Now, there are some studies that have found that body language is up to 93%. And um, that's only typically in like romantic situations, right? Where, for example, if a man and woman walk into a bar and a woman across the bar raises her eyebrows at him, you know, that's solely almost 100% nonverbal interaction. The man knows exactly what she wants. Um, so there's certain situations, but I would say in average day-to-day life, we're talking about 60% of our communication is our body, our face, and our voice tone, and the rest, the 40% is our words. Hmm. I mean, and no matter what, like you say, it adds more information, and all of us could certainly use more information. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is we typically put all of our eggs in the verbal basket, right? We go through school, or we go into a job interview, or a meeting with a boss, and we're thinking about what we want to say. We're preparing a great answer, the words. We're bulleting out what we want to make sure we get across. So we think about what we say, but we never think about how we want to say it. And that's like showing up with 40% of your ability. Hmm. Yeah. And, and yet, and how many times have we known something was wrong with somebody and nothing's been said? Mm-hmm. And yet, and then, and then we say, what's wrong? Like, you seem like something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. We know... <laughs> And so just tuning into people would certainly certainly help with that. Um, is there – and I guess like you were saying, a lot of this is just innate. We just kind of – we know something's, something's wrong. But then you, you talk about there's certain – there's just certain rules. There's certain laws or principles. What are some of the principles we should be paying attention to? Yeah, so um, most of body language is innate, not all of it. Um, there are definitely cultural differences. Um, usually the cultural differences, by the way, come around haptics, which is the science word for touch. So some cultures, touch is more acceptable than others. You know, in Europe, you double cheek kiss when you say hello, whereas here that would be a little much. Mm. Um, in certain Asian cultures, there's very little touch. In fact, you might bow instead of shaking hands. So haptics is one that's, that's different um, across cultures, but some of the laws that I think we can universally understand um, is I actually would love to teach you the concept of the micro-expression. Yes. So a micro-expression is a very brief, involuntary facial expression that we all make when we feel an intense emotion. And this was discovered by researcher Dr. Paul Ekman. And we used to believe that facial expressions were learned, that babies were born, looked at their mother or father's face, and mirrored it or copied it. And that's how they learned facial expressions. What Dr. Paul Ekman found is that congenitally blind children, children who have been blind since birth, make the same facial expressions at the same time as seeing children. Now, that says something pretty crazy, that... Somehow, our facial expressions are coded, that we know when we're a baby, whether we're taught or not, that when we're angry, we should pull our eyebrows down and press our lips together, and that means anger. Or when we're sad, that we pull our mouth down into a frown and we droop our lids. Somehow, our bodies know this, and Hmm. that means that we can study it. 
So what I would love to teach you is there are seven universal micro expressions that you can learn. Um, but there's one that I think is the most powerful and it's the expression of contempt. And it's also very simple. Contempt, hatred, disdain, pessimism is simply demonstrated by a one sided mouth raise. So as you're listening right now, if you just want to lift up one corner of your mouth, either side, that is a smirk. A smirk is the universal sign mm. of derision or contempt. Do you feel it? You yeah, feel totally. That like, yeah. Don't do it too long. Don't do it too long. Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> that's because funny thing. That's what all my people around me at the in my radio show that they all give me that look. <laughs> and now I know what it means. Now you know. Now I'm you so know. lonely. But it, it's, isn't that interesting? A smirk. Yep. That I mean, you and, get that from your teenage kid when you tell him to take the garbage out. And what I think that contempt, the reason why it's important is because it's the one emotion that doesn't go away. And what I mean by that is that happiness, sadness, anger, those are kind of bursts of emotions, right? You feel you feel a burst of happiness and then it kind of fades away into your day. Or you feel a burst of anger at that guy who cut you off, lasts for a few minutes and it goes away. Contempt is this very interesting emotion because when you feel contempt, it typically tends to fester. It kind of takes hold. And we know this because there was a, a research study that was done by Dr. John Gottman. And mm-hmm. Dr. John Gottman is a marriage and family counselor up in Seattle. And he wanted to know if there were any patterns of couples that would get divorced. And so he did one of the largest research experiments on marriage. And he brought hundreds of couples into his lab and he tested them on everything he could think of. Personality tests, IQ tests, he interviewed them, he tested their chemistry, he interviewed their kids, he filmed them and watched them on tape. And then he followed them for 30 years, a huge amount of time. At the end of the 30 years, he looked at the couples that stayed together and the couples that had gotten divorced. And he found there was one pattern. The couples who had gotten divorced in their initial intake interview, one of them showed contempt towards the other, just that one-sided smirk. He can now watch a silent video of a couple and tell you with 93.6% accuracy if that couple will get divorced within 30 years. Wow. That's yeah. You don't hear that kind of number. And so no. When you see contempt, all I say, all, my, my whole goal for this interview is if you see contempt on someone's face, just find out the cause, right? Okay, if it's traffic, no problem. That's not you. But if it's something that you can change or address, don't let it fester. Because mm, it is. It's a sign. It's the death sign. It's the death knell. <laughs> it, and, it, and it's, it's real, though. Sign. And you can see it. There's some people that might just have it against you. you may, they just might be out yeah. for you. And you don't even know why. But um, so you're saying when you see that, use that as a cue to get in deeper and to maybe get more verbal feedback on that issue. Yeah, it, it's, it's that red flag. It's actually a warning sign that you can you can take the right steps to make sure that it's not taking hold. Do you when you see the sign? I mean, to me, when I teach reflective listening and communication skills, when I see that somebody's happy, I suggest you reflect that happiness. Hey, you seem happy or you seem down. You seem sad. If I see the smirk, what do I say? Uh, well, that is the best advice. Reflecting happiness is the absolute best advice. And I would give the same advice for any other emotion. So I'm very transparent when I read people's faces. You know, my, my poor friends, my husband, they, they get this all the time <laughs> where I, I will say, you know, you seem upset. You know, it's everything okay. You know, you seem angry. Is everything okay? Usually, when you do that, you're actually telling them, I am truly trying to understand you. I'm not pretending. I'm not forcing my, my opinion on you. 
Um, so when you use that, you actually name and tame. So they say, wow, this person's actually trying to pay attention. And if you're wrong, they will then correct you, which is exactly what you want. Right. So, it, you know, you're, you're talking to your wife and you see a little contempt. You say, you know, is everything okay? You seem a little upset. And she can say, you know, I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. Great. Now you have more information. Right. right. Now you have more to go by. So I think that always calling out what you see is an honest way to interact. And it's also showing that you're listening. I love that. And it's, I mean, so that's really one of the advantages of body language is it's the, it's the early sign and then you can go deeper on it. You can hit it and go deeper. I think it's, it's the unlock. It's, it helps you unlock. Yeah. It gives you that, those early signs so you can then use verbal, which is where we really get the deep communication. What, what, uh, what are, just quickly, what are some of the other micro expressions? Oh, sure. So, you know, I mentioned anger. I mean, if you want to try this with me, you can. Um, so if you, if you pull your eyebrows down and together, so the two vertical lines appear in the mirror, um, so pull your eyebrows down as far as they'll go, like scrunch them together, and then harden your lips, and then harden your lower lids as if you're, like, suspicious. Mm. That face is anger. And if you hold it, by the way, you will begin to feel irritable. Yeah. Um, right? It's a very weird thing. It's called the facial feedback hypothesis. Um, women who have Botoxed different parts of their face to be numb yeah. actually don't feel that emotion as strongly. So our facial expressions are a very important part of our emotion. So what you're looking for for anger, if you see that, is you're looking on the other person for those two vertical lines. If you see those two vertical lines or you see someone's lids, lower lids harden at you, that typically means that they're suspicious, they're irritable, they're angry, and you want to make sure you nip that in the bud right away so you know it's not uh, going towards you. <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. And it's interesting, too, huh, that you you know, these you shouldn't be practicing, but it's a great way to connect the that to your feeling system, right? So now all of a sudden I can feel the emotion of it, and I can now think of dozens of places I've been angry. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's great about microexpressions is let's say that you're, you're later today, you're talking to someone, you see them make a, a kind of odd facial expression, you don't remember what it is, or you're not sure what it is. Uh, try to mirror it. When you mirror it and you tap into how you feel, that's a very, very good indicator of how they feel. And this, what we're talking about here is something quite deep, which is this is why we have empathy, right? right. If we can feel literally as the other person feels, what a beautiful way to interact because you're, you're literally tapping into who they are. And by the way, I have all the micro expressions up on my website for free. So if you want to play around with it, you can, but you don't have to memorize them. You can also just tap into how you feel. Oh, I love that. And then, yeah, the mirroring neurons that we have anyway, we're going to, this is what makes us uniquely human, but we could even become, I guess, more skilled at it by like going to your website and, and practicing, looking through these things. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Mirroring neurons are what help us with this. Mirror neurons and our facial expressions and our body language is this nice loop of empathy. It's the empathy loop, right? Yeah. Where you see someone, you see a friend, you think they're upset, you begin to copy their sadness microexpression, you feel sad, and you say, my gosh, I am so, so sorry. Is there anything I can do? And you truly feel that with them. I think that is the greatest gift we can give to our fellow humans. Oh, totally. As we, as we uh, close this out, Vanessa, what would you say is the one thing? The one thing, um, that empathy loop, I guess, is one thing. But what, what would you say for those of us that want to really you know, get a quick read on somebody? What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference to pay attention to? I would say um, cleaning space. So a very quick, if you have a really kind of snap thing you have to learn, 
looking at how much physical space someone is taking up with their body is a very, very good indicator of how worthy they feel to be there. And this works with us, this works with others. So if you look at someone, again, their shoulders are rolled in, their arms are tightly pinned to their sides, their legs are, are quite stiff and pinned together, typically that is an indicator of low confidence. They don't feel as worthy being there. And if you want to make them feel comfortable, the best thing you can do is make them feel welcome. On the opposite end, you see someone and they're sprawled out, right? They, they're claiming chairs, their arms are draped over things, their <laughs> legs are spread out. You know that you have a nice alpha, right? You have someone who feels really good about being there. And the same thing happens for you. The more space you claim, the more confidence you give off, the more confident you feel. Yeah, oh, I love that. That is so true, isn't it? I see that with clients. You can just see – I had a teenage girl in my office recently and you, she couldn't – she was a shrinking violet. You couldn't get her to be smaller in the room um, yeah, because she didn't feel worthy. Attention. Yeah, you can pay attention to what you say that brings them out. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden you bring up their, their sport or their hobby and they kind of perk up. You just made them feel worthy mm. in some way. Love it. Love it. Well, we appreciate your great work, uh, Vanessa Van Edwards. And again, the website is the science or uh, www.scienceofpeople.com. Great activities, videos you can go watch. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Wow. And two, the, isn't it interesting how your face, all you got to do is practice it, right? Do a facial expression. Then all of a sudden you're feeling the feelings of that expression. Interesting stuff, folks. Um, it's good to be human, right? And to a lot of this that you do kind of naturally, what would happen if you just practiced it, picked up your skill set a little bit? That'd be powerful as well. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Come back and we'll wrap up this second hour of the show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, yesterday was the first day of spring, and some of us welcomed in so uh, some much-anticipated warm weather. It seems that maybe this winter is coming to an end. So what things should we be uh, waving goodbye to as spring makes its way in? Caitlin Thomas is here. She's a hater of the winter season. Hello. I don't, am. Don't I am. hate. There are certain things about it that I do enjoy, like Christmas, and we'll do talk you? about yeah. that. How about uh, sliding on the roads? Yes, it's my favorite thing. Is and it? how about wet shoes when walking to campus? It's just yes, my favorite thing. That's it a good really time. Is. That's a good time. So there's a couple things we're getting ready to say goodbye to. I just compiled a list of the ones Excellent. that I'm the most excited about. Okay. Well, I mean, we do have to say goodbye to sledding and sleigh rides. That's uh-huh. kind of sad. That's, that's always sad. fun. Goodbye, snowmen. Oh, snowmen are fun. They are. Right? So are snow women. Yeah, snow women, snowmen. Yeah. We're all about equality on the snow Townsend children. Show. Yeah. Snow children. Lights, Christmas lights. That's kind of sad. That's always ah, fun at night. I'm it makes, so excited. It makes things look I don't like that. Really? It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Yeah. My Bye-bye. dad finally took ours down. Bye bye. Christmas decor. That's kind of sad. You have to put the boxes away. Yeah. You officially can't have any out now. It's spring. Like you no, it's it over. Put the Christmas cards away. I have a neighbor that spends three weeks decorating. You know, Holy some cow. people. It's, Imagine the cleanup on that. Seriously. You know, some people just really get into it, so it, it can be hard for them. Right. Um, hot chocolate. Love it, but we got to say goodbye. You can't have hot chocolate have hot in the chocolate. middle of spring and summer. No, it just doesn't make sense. It's a seasonal drink. Now you got to get the lemonade out. Crack out the lemonade, which is my favorite. Right. Um, giant puffy jackets. Put them yeah. away to the back of the yeah. closet. They make you so look fat stoked. anyway. Right, and they just... I have a windbreaker, that, and along with that. but when I wear it, it makes me look like it's giant and puffy. Is that the Tom Brady one? Do you... <laughs> 
Yeah, So he looks is. giant and puffy. Yeah, it's just like that one. You know, and now we don't have to wear boots with every outfit. You know, you can just put on some normal shoes and does that mean that are cute? That does actually that mean match. Jeff can't wear his pirate boots anymore? No, no pirate boots. Sorry, Those Jeff. Those are so last. Say goodbye. Last winter. Bye bye. Ooh, cold fingertips and noses. Say goodbye. Dang it. Say goodbye to it. Yeah. Your fingers can be warm. And then, you know, along with that, like, you know, runny noses for the uh-huh. most part. I mean, you can yeah. still get a cold nose. Say goodbye to post-nasal drip. But it's not like, yeah, it's not like you have the red nose. And uh-huh. It's just like, yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. That's a convenient thing. That's really what about good. the winter blues? Yeah, say goodbye to those. Say goodbye to those. Now you got nothing liven up. serotonin I'm pushing feeling through really, your system. I was just saying, I'm feeling really alive. I feel lighter on the inside. You look lighter on the inside, yeah. by the way. Have I told you? Yeah. Miserable walks outside. Walks outside can be enjoyable again. But... Like, so can Winter Wonderland walks. I hate them. In your boots, your, toes your galoshes. Your toes are cold and your fingers are cold and your nose is running. Sounds like you need better boots, gloves, and I guess now if you nose have, job, I if guess. You have, <laughs> if you have allergies, I guess you might still have yeah. the runny nose problem. But yeah. And you'll have swollen eyes, right. Yeah, well, get some medicine. And now you got to mow the lawn. But now we don't have to scrape our windows. No, but you got to scrape. You got the barnacles sa- off the boat. So really, now this segment becomes say goodbye to your Saturdays. Yeah, say goodbye to your Saturdays that you used to just you know lounge around and watch movies in your nice warm house. Why with can't fire. you do that in the spring? Yard no, work. Yard work. You obviously it's don't own a house. You. It gets you. It makes you active. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have to scrape your windows, which I love because I leave my house at five a.m. sometimes. Yeah, that's not good. Um, no more Christmas music though for a while. Yes. Take it away. Yes. Um, snow sports. I'm sorry for all my snow sports. No more fans. skiing. No more Except skiing we'll have skiing till May here. Probably. I don't know. They said the snow's melting off the Is resorts, it? and they're all kind of panicking. Oh boy. Dead plants. Say goodbye to them. No. Now Drive you're gonna have. To come now alive. you got to go pick them up, clean them up. Come alive. Okay. Those are just a few things. We I, I don't know if you to. noticed this, but your your segment turned kind of heavy because the music stopped. And it was it like, now it was heavy. like, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do, but it is. <sighs> Spring cleaning. For me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, it's a month away from college graduation. So that's great, right? it's a news good for you. time to be alive. You know what it means for me? Because my mama taught me that we got to pull up all the carpets. So we always pull up all the carpets, take them out Spring on the cleaning. line, and we, we hit them with a stick. And then we have to put all of our carpets back down, which is hard because our entire home is carpeted. Mm. This is a sad well, time for Leanna me. Well, didn't Leanna teach us about spring cleaning yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Take so. those tips. Well, Caitlin, that's great advice. Happy spring. I hate goodbyes. I do, too. Goodbye, Goodbye winter. winter. <laughs> Goodbye, oh, winter. Just gets so sad. <laughs> See you again next year. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin Thomas, thanks for your insight. Yeah, welcome. And thanks for making Jeffrey upset. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Giving you a leg up in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry uh, South, of course, and Jeffrey Liam. Got it right, Simpson. What? Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Because today you showed us how Liam you could be when we were talking about... Oh, right. Good one, good one. The jersey taken. 
Tom Brady's jersey is back, folks. I have a very special set of skills. <laughs> I will find it, and I will kill those responsible for taking it. Wow. Liam Neeson, by the way. Yeah. Joining us today on the show. And helping us recuperate or re, uh, recoup the loss of the jersey. I mean, there was financial loss. There was emotional distress. There's a lot of problems, but the FBI has been on it. They found the jersey. Today we'll be talking about that. Um, I'm going to actually ask our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation how many jerseys they have stolen from locker rooms. Hmm. Just to, you know, because apparently it was a credentialed media mogul, ex uh, media vice president of some media company. From Mexico. From Mexico. And the FBI had to go to Mexico to get the jersey and another jersey. What's happening to this place? This world falling apart. What, what do you think the um, response from the federales were when the FBI showed up and go, well, so this guy took a jersey and we need to get it back. Oh, but see, they get it. Because if you took like a, a football player in Mexico's jersey after a championship match, yeah, I'd be, I mean, that's, they get that. I mean, Mexico has so many other problems that the FBI is involved with, and they I want bet, to talk about this one? None are bigger than this. Okay. You know, one time in college, I left one of my shirts in the laundry room, never got it back. So I, I kind of feel like this is the same thing. Yeah. It's a lot like that. Uh, it is. It's it's a little more serious because it's it was an it was a you know, Super Bowl game. This was a divine comedy T shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still different. Uh, the New England Patriots jersey that vanished after quarterback Tom Brady wore it uh, in the team's fifth Super Bowl victory. It's found the jersey. Sec- the second one, by the way, Brady wore in a championship victory two years earlier. So two jerseys. Two were jerseys stolen were stolen. Over the last couple of years. And apparently by the same guy or, or he, somehow or he, he got a hold both of, of them. them. Yeah. And now both of those have been found in... Mexico. His name's in there. Martin. Mauricio Ortega, a former director of Mexico's La Prensa newspaper. He he had had credentials that allowed him into the locker room postgame, which I don't understand why they do that. They have video of him going in, they believe. And I guess it's that video is where they got, they figured out who it was. Yeah. Says who? The FBI. Says the FBI. So not only is the FBI, you know, figuring out that Donald Trump's story... And the Russians, but the same FBI also solved the Tom Brady story. Jersey Gate. They, by the way, they could not solve Deflate Gate. They must not have been involved. No, they stayed out of that one. Yeah. So they let, they let science try to figure that one out. Was that Deflate Tom Brady's jacket? Is that what Deflate? No, Gate no, no. Is? That was that was Deflate the football. It was the football? Oh, I see. Remember, they thought he was deflating the football. So, but you know, no, no, never did that. Um, so we'll talk about that fun. Plus, we have a, an author coming on to talk about how to get out of your your comfort zone. Mm. Some people are too afraid to do, you know, to 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 get out of their comfort zone, so they never really rise to life's challenges. I get out of my comfort zone every morning about five a.m. <laughs> it's called my bed. Really? Hmm. Again, funny thing about our crowd. This today. really feels like a bad sitcom. Where they say something, it's not funny, but there's laughter. No, exactly. Because there's a laugh track. See, our audience is really on top of it today. They, but it almost, it almost seems like they only laugh at one person. Wrong. Hmm. hmm. 
They don't laugh at the host. Wrong. Mm. Wrong. <laughs> you just set yourself up there. Yeah. They do laugh at the host sometimes. And other times they laugh with you. <laughs> but mostly at you. But most of the time they're just laughing at your jokes, which many don't think are jokes. You're really not on their good side today. That's crazy. Crazy. So we'll get to all that fun. Uh, plus a few more stories that you might not even need to know. Empty news, we call it. Matt Townsend news. All that ahead. But first, to the real news. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Russian interference in the U.S. electoral process will not end with the 2016 presidential election. This according to FBI Director James Comey as he was in his public hearing before the House Intelligence Committee. They'll be back, he said. They'll be back in 2020. Though They may be back in 2018. One of the lessons they may draw from this is that they were successful because they introduced chaos and division and discord and so doubt about the nature of this amazing country of ours and our democratic process. Comey said about Russia's mission this time around was to, as usual, undermine the credibility of our entire democracy. So this whole process will continue. Yeah. Oh, good. FBI Director Comey uh, continued saying during the hearing that the FBI, NSA, nor the Department of Justice had evidence to support President Trump's claim of President Obama's ordering of a wiretap on Trump Tower. Ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff on, uh, Schiff on CBS, talking about why the president will not back off his wiretapping claims. Well, you know, one of two things. Uh, it's either that the president simply cannot admit error, uh, and that might be the most... Uh, uh, well, the least damning explanation, uh, as critical as that would be, um, or the more concerning would be he can't tell the difference between fact and fiction, and he has somehow persuaded himself of this alternate reality. That would be an even worse scenario, and honestly, at this point, I can't tell which it is. Well, there's, there, there's a worse scenario. What's that? That he committed felonies and he's trying to distract. Well, yeah, he's talking about this specific situation, uh, not anything okay, else that yeah. might be. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, so also uh, also yesterday, Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch presented himself as a mainstream jurist who has spent his career seeking agreement as his highly anticipated confirmation hearings kicked off Monday. Do they kick off? Do they tip off? Yeah, Do they I, begin? Yeah. Gentlemen, start you your engines. Commence. They launch. They launch. Yeah, you commence. They commence. President Donald Trump's nominee spent most of the day uh, of his confirmation hearing listening to committee members deliver their own statements in what began the final chapter of the battle to fill the seat vacated by the late Justice Antonin Scalia. So it's a battle. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, you don't want to call it a battle. Yeah. It's just a, it's an interview. That's all this is, a job interview. For votes. You're trying to convince people you're the guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's on TV if you want to watch it. Ten hours today. A throwdown. Ten hours of a guy sitting in a chair. Oh, it's fascinating. At I, times. I will be riveted. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Hey, you know, if they're going to go see a frozen dead guy, they'll watch a guy sit in a chair for right. ten hours. Right. Ugh. <laughs> in other news, Fox News has removed the judicial analyst Judge Andrew Napolitano from its programming indefinitely after he made unverified claims about a wiretap against Trump Tower, this according to the LA Times. Really? He's the guy that originated the story that uh, the British wiretapped. That the British are coming. On request of President Obama. Right. Wasn't that wiretapped. Paul Revere? Yeah. No, it was Judge Napolitano. Yeah, oh. So Napolitano is now out of the rotation for however long. Now, I thought he was a Supreme Court nominee. No, he was, I think, a, divor- President a divorce Trump. court judge that they keep calling Judge okay. Napolitano. So. Well, good, to, good, to, good to have 
listen to you. And finally, there are devices you wear on your wrist or maybe strapped around your arm, but Levi's and Google have gone a step further in the realm of so-called wearables with a jacket that wirelessly connects to your phone. Really? Yes. The Why? Le- the Levi Commuter Trucker Jacket <laughs> is designed to let cyclists change the song or get directions with a swipe or pat okay. on the cuff sure. using special material developed by Google. Okay. The jacket is made from conductive yarns that are woven into the clothing and can register touch inputs like a screen. A tag clipped on the cuff wirelessly connects the yarns to the jacket to the user's mobile phone. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Absolutely. I totally agree. When it comes time to wash it, the wearers remove the tag, throw the jacket in the laundry, just like anything else. Okay. Right now, the jacket can only control music and give the wearer map updates, but the two companies hope to add more features eventually. What do you think something like this costs? Way too much. Way too much. $350. What? Yeah. Boy, I know. Fans don't like that. So you can wear a jacket and, you know, change the music. I think that's crazy. cuff of your jacket. Uh, You brought up Levi's. Levi's, yes. Do you know how often you are supposed to wash your Levi's? According to the CEO of Levi's, never. Yeah, no. We're not going to go with the CEO because that's kind of disgusting. Not as often as you do, probably. I lived right next door to a Levi one time, and I'm... I'm pretty sure he washed. Different type of Levi. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're thinking different. I think yeah, you're thinking of someone different. Is, is someone come out with some new? There approach? is, and um, I have ad blocker on, and it's <laughs> blocking the uh, the ad. So, um, but basically, it's a professor. Rachel McQueen mm. is an associate professor of textile science at the University of Alberta. She does Canada. great work. Great work. She says honestly, you don't want to wash Levi's very often. Mm-hmm. Because it will wear them out. Right. But the key, this is the key, and I've been telling Jeff this for years. Okay. It's the smell. Yeah. There, are, there will be germs and bacteria. You don't need to worry about an accumulation of germs, germs and bacteria because they're your germs. They're your bacteria. Right. So your body would probably be fairly used to that. So it's not like not washing. It's your body's. It's your funk. You're it's good. your funk. <laughs> You're fine. Don't let your friends borrow your jeans and then not wash them. But she also says it's the smell. So once the smell – so the number one test to decide when it's time to wash your jeans is the smell test. Okay. So sniff your clothes before you put them on. Yes. That's kind of weird. Or have someone sniff them for you. Does this stink? (laughs) The Levi that I knew was frequently worn out, but I don't remember any smell. Try – you know what? Call him. Maybe go see what he smells like. Maybe he's showering more Before you put him on. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh yeah jeans it's you can they can go you could go a month maybe but the the ceo of levi's he would go a year yeah the neat thing he said about his jeans is they would just stand up in the corner <laughs> on their own no hangers needed yeah no hangers needed <laughs> what if you have a two-week supply of what of of denim product yeah then and you just rotate that's kind of what i do yeah and so i what, don't every Every quarter, wash your clothes? Yeah, I just throw them out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just get new ones. Once once they're too rigid and I can't put them on anymore, I just toss them. <laughs> right? No no reason to keep a pair of rigid jeans you so can't what, wear. So what they're saying is wash them when they're dirty. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, blogger goes on trial for playing Pokemon Go in a church. A trial for the blogger who is accused of inciting religious hatred. For playing Pokemon Go in a church has begun. Investigators have charged 22-year-old video blogger Ruslan Sokolovsky 
with inciting religious hatred and insulting the feelings of religious believers. So Koloski posted a video on his blog last year showing him playing smartphone game in a church built on a supposed spot where the family of the last Russian czar, Nicholas II, was killed. He faces a possible sentence of seven and a half years in prison if convicted. Uh, Apparently then, this is a Russian story, Sokolovsky, did I pronounce that right, Jeffrey? Uh, Good enough. Okay. You don't want to correct it? How would one, Jeffrey, who speaks Russian, how would one say Pokemon Go in Russian? Probably just Pokemon Go. Nope. Not even close. How would you know? Because... Says who? I have friends in high places. Wrong. I have friends that know Russians in high places. Wrong. I have a president who has friends who apparently speak to Russians, and then he says they don't. Okay. Pokemon Go. A guy's going to jail, prison, seven and a half years for them. Hey, here's a crazy one that I know we we talk about a lot on the show. 65% of Americans are obsessed uh, with work. So much so, they dream about work. Uh, every I can't tell you. Every It's like every other day I walk in and Jeff's like, hey, I had a dream about you last night. Yeah. I, in fact, I just dreamed about work just very last night. Very is the first day of spring. Some people see spring as a great time to clean up the spaces around you. Some researchers trace the origin of spring cleaning to the ancient Jewish practice of thoroughly cleansing the home in anticipation of the springtime memorial feast of Passover. Wow. So in my dream, I guess I was sleeping at work? I, I guess. You, that's what wonderful. you dream about? You dream about me reading stories? No, I think I dreamed about sleeping at work. That was your dream while I was working. Hey, I, I'm not a doctor, Matt. You tell me what that means. Well, what I think it means is you're crazy. You're crazy. But you are at, you're, you're a normal person. A new Harris Career Builder poll finds that 65% of the workforce actually dream about work. For better or worse, the pollster could not resist asking the respondents about the craziest dream they've had about uh, their workplace. In, in, uh, in their words, this is what they said. I dreamed a Tyrannosaurus Rex worked at my office, wrote one person. Another reported, my boss and I were mowing a lawn in the clouds with a go-kart. While a third noted, I drove a forklift home from work. These are all bad dreams. Other workers reported dreaming celebrities had joined their office team, that the boss adopted everyone and took them on a shopping spree, or that they had to reconcile sales accounts while riding a roller coaster. Whoa. Those are bad dreams. What's your worst dream about Ooh, work? About work? Yeah. I remember when I worked at In-N-Out Burger, Yeah, and I'd work until all hours of the night. My dad came in one morning and tried to engage in conversation with me. As I'm sleeping, which parents like to do. Yeah, we like to play with you. And apparently I just started reading an order back to him. Really? That's yeah. a bad dream. I Have you ever had the, uh, you know, you're giving a speech in the buff dream? No. Yeah, me either. Okay. How about the, how about the running around the airport late for a plane in the buff dream? Well, I, I'm buff in all of my dreams and in reality. 
Okay. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what okay. I mean. Um, doesn't this remind you of the uh, the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial? Yeah. The guy that's just always exhausted. He's making the donuts. Gotta make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. Time to make the coffee. Time to make the bagels. Hey! Wake up! Oh, gotta make the donuts. I do have that dream. I have. I dream about donuts every day. Yeah, in my dream, though, it's got to eat the donuts. Got to eat the donuts. <laughs> got to eat the donuts. Okay, we are going to take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. News flushage. A lot of times we have to we have to do a lot of reading to find stories. We find stories and then we just stack them away, and we never get to we never get to share those stories. And the, the other side of it is, you hear the things we do share. Just think of the things we don't share. Yeah, think of when we're self censoring. <laughs> what we don't dare share. So, um, I, I guess I'll start out. Okay. Um, New York, uh, New York courts are about to determine if a chimp is a, is legally a person. I saw this story. Yeah. Uh, that's what attorney Steve Wise is trying to convince the state appeals court in Manhattan that a chimpanzee should be treated as a person with legal rights. Now, uh, apparently Wise has not heard of Darwin. Okay. But we haven't given chimpanzees these human rights yet. But WISE represents the Florida-based non-human rights project animal advocacy group argued that two chimps named Tommy and Kiko Kiko. should be freed from the cages to live live in a mammoth-sized outdoor sanctuary in Florida. Hey, we've got a Kiko. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do have a Kiko. Palakiko. Palakiko. Yeah, he... uh, Good guy. Yeah. One of our producers. Once he figures out what Ohio University and Ohio State is, it'd yeah. be great. If it's, oh, is it he's Ohio not University? This. Is it Ohio State University? And yeah. we didn't want to bring it up, but yeah, once did. you brought up Kiko, that's exactly right. The Boston lawyer has been trying for years unsuccessfully to get courts to grant New York chimps habeas corpus in order to, he says, free them from the unlawful imprisonment. He says that if the judges agree, the apes, which didn't appear in court, I don't know why, would be sent to live with others of their species on one of 13 islands amid a lake in Fort Pierce, Florida, that comprise uh, the Save the Chimps Sanctuary. So five judge panel will be making a decision in the coming weeks. On the humanity of the monkey. Yeah. Now, what what they ought to do is do the the other human tests that are required in New York. Hmm. Like hailing a cab. Yeah. Can you effectively do that? Ordering a hot dog. Ordering a hot dog. Yeah. Purchasing a euro and making change. Folding your slice of pizza correctly. That's exactly right. See? Uh, Hailing an Uber car. Mm. Right? Not going to see the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. Yelling at uh, tourists for being in the way. Very typical things that normal humans do in New York. Uh, Another test would be... 
can you not throw and fling your feces <laughs> at pat, at watchers yeah. in the zoo? I mean, no. you, you don't want that. You don't see that happening. In New York? Mm. <laughs> I've seen some stories. I don't know. Okay. just I'm just throwing that out there. There's okay. a lot of things. Wait, what are you throwing out there? I'm yeah. just throwing that idea out there. There's a lot of things that, that make us poncho. human. Go ahead. Right. Uh, can he drive a car? Yeah. But I guess a lot of New Yorkers can't drive a car. Apparently either. not. But it has to be like a tiny, tiny car. Yeah. If it's a monkey. Well, yeah. Not, not like a clown car. Yeah, like a Shriner's car. Yeah. Like a Shriner's bike. Shriner's can the car. monkey diaper themselves? Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wish them the best of luck as they try to, in the New York courts, determine if a chimp is legally a person. Flush it. This story caught my eye simply because of the name of the product it's going to mention. Oh, what? So let's see if you can pick up on this. Wearable technology has been making forays into professional sports for years as another way for athletes and teams to track performance. Major League Baseball has approved the expansion on this front for players in the 2017 season and beyond. Really? The number and quality of ways that baseball has measured every movement on its field during its games has recently boomed thanks to in partnership with... Um, Amazon Web Services, right, which is uh, hosting sure. for websites, to produce the data, data collection behemoth StatCast. There has been one area which StatCast has been insufficient, however, and that's where an expansion of Major League Baseball wearable technology comes in. Biometrics from the players are one component that StatCast cannot capture, and Major League Baseball teams see the value of that information. So there's this device called the Whoop Strap 2.0. Pardon? Pardon? Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. Whoop. Whoop. It is. 2.0 has been approved for in-game use, making it the first device of its kind for approval in the game. The device monitors the heart rate, body temperature, and other biometrics. If worn properly, the device can accurately denote when an athlete is under strain or is sleeping. Huh. This is good, because if you're in the outfield, it's middle of the summer, and you have a guy up there pitching that's really good and the ball's not coming your way, you fall asleep, the you know manager needs to know. It's a little a, alert in the dugout, and he yells at dugout, and he yells out to you, "Hey, wake up!" That's a great point. They yeah. just need to do what George Costanza suggested, and and have cotton jerseys, or yeah. do the Gator Ball, like yeah, you Gator suggested. Ball brings it back to everything. It's plus, it's exciting. So there you go, biometrics, the Whoop Strap, two Whoop, there it is. <laughs> That's really good. Hey, um, okay, flush that bad boy. So. If you we, we do a lot of genealogy in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They they do a lot of genealogy. They try to you, you want to know where your ancestors are from. Did you know that the the easy maybe one of the easiest ways to know where your ancestors are from is the shape of your nose. Right? Now this is unless you've had, unless you've been in a lot of fights because then your shape of your nose may just be totally off. Uh, whether your nose is long and narrow or short and wide, you may have your ancestors climate to think. New anthropological research finds that nose shape is formed through a process of natural selection responding to the temperature and humidity of the local environment. For the study published online last week in the Journal of PLOS Genetics, researchers from Ireland, Belgium, um, and the U.S., uh, use 3D facial imaging to collect nose measurements on nearly 500 participants in South Asian, East Asian, West African, and North European descent. The researchers analyzed specific measures, including nose height, nostril width, distance from nostrils, protrusion, 
Ah, that's the hardest measurement to take, by the way. And total surface area of the nose and nostrils. Then they compared these measurements with local temperatures and humidity in the various geographical regions. And the findings revealed that nostril width was strongly linked with climate. Wider nostrils were found in more hot and humid areas. Narrower nostrils or noses were more commonly found in cold and dry areas. It is a better indicator than skin color. It's your, it's your, where your ancestors grew up. It's the environment. Cold environment, apparently you need a point to your nose. Warmer environment, need a flatter nose. Who did this study again? Uh, a bunch of professors from the United States and Ireland. Well, nobody knows better than a bunch of professors from the United States and Ireland. That's... See, that was an intellectual joke. It took them a little while to get that one. Oh, nobody knows. Yes. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Um, (laughs) A little flushage for you there. Just a a, a very little news flush for you there. Do we have time for one more, Jeffrey? Uh, It's your show. Great point. Great point. This is going to blow your mind. If you, Jeffrey, were going to impress a girl... What would you do? Whew, I would clean the house. Would you now? You'd say, honey, I want to impress you. I'm going to clean the house. And she, well, I wouldn't tell her I'm going to impress you by cleaning the house. Okay. Well, let me just suggest. I don't want to, don't want to show my cards. Maybe you're not doing it right. What? The te- a teenager was mauled by a crocodile while showing off for a girl. He was showing off for a girl, and he decided this 18-year-old kid suffered serious injuries to his left arm when he was viciously attacked by a crocodile after he jumped into the Johnstone River in Innisfail on Saturday night. As he recovered from surgery in the hospital, he told the media that uh, he was trying to prove a point to a young female backpacker that he had just met. I started telling her about backpackers, how they're more likely to get eaten by crocodiles than Australians. So we decided to go down to the river and test the theory. I started telling her, uh, Mr. DePas said the crocodile immediately grabbed his arm and didn't let go when he punched it in the snout. Only finally it released him when he gouged it in the eye. This is another story where they've gotten away successfully by gouging the eye. Exactly. We've taught this on the show. We need to get this word out. As much as we can. This guy was trying to show and impress this woman and prove a point that if that he is less likely to be killed than an average backpacker. Because I guess he he knows how to handle these critters. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile. Yeah, just a little disclaimer. Doesn't exactly apply, but... Um, Mr. DePaw had, by the way, you won't believe this, he had apparently consumed about 10 cups of goon, which is an alcoholic goon? beverage, yeah, wow. before jumping in the river. And, uh, but he denied that he was one of the stupidest people around. He just said, haters are going to hate because you don't prove a point by going down to the river and trying to impress a young lady sticking your arm in an alligator's mouth. That is the point we're trying to teach you. Alligators don't play like that. 
Haters going to hate, sure. That's just a given. But gators it's part of life. are going to eat you. That's also for sure. Anyway, be careful, kids. Be careful. Let's take a break. We, uh, we'll take a break. Come back. Continue doing a little news flush, folks. we got a lot of news to get through. Remember, gators, they're just going to do what they naturally do, which is unscrew your arm off your body. Let's not be stupid. We'll be back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we drive in our convertible down Highway 5, I-5. In the 80s. In the 80s. Actually, this would be more 90s. Yeah. Early. Reminds me of the uh, theme to Heart to Heart. You ever watch that show, Heart to Heart? I was thinking of a convertible Mercedes, maybe a 1980s Mercedes. I'm pretty old if I remember Heart to Heart. Heart to Heart. Yeah. I I thought she was a wonderful woman. Really? Yeah. Okay. It made me want to be a billionaire, millionaire, whatever he was back they, then. They were detectives. Uh, yeah, but they were very wealthy. Well, they're wealthy detectives. Yeah. They had and a good-looking couple, right? Yeah. Except they weren't. Necessarily... Were they together? I couldn't remember. If I think that they was were. The premise. Were I think they... they were, weren't they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then the spinoff show was uh, Heart versus Heart, and it was just a legal drama. Yeah, it was. It was a divorce court. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Went on for hours. The continuing story. Uh, so you've got some pizza headlines. Pizza for us. news. I always try to find pizza news because I believe pizza is a universal food. It brings it everyone is. together. People love themselves Here's pizza. a little Greek music for right. the pizza. So first off, Pizza Hut stepping up its game, high-top sneakers that allow their wearers to order pizza with a push of a button and rolling out a major discount to offer people who cannot get to these special shoes. Really? They pizza made, shoes. They made a limited amount of these shoes, and then everyone else gets like a coupon. Well, what, what are the, sh- the shoes... The high tops, of course, being called pie tops. Okay, and pie tops. Pie tops. Uh-huh. Uh, they're basically a they're a marketing stunt. I think it's something along the lines of you know, Amazon has those buttons that you can order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you want to have your favorite detergent, you press the button. You press and the then button. It, it orders you one. It orders it. Mm-hmm. I think it's along those lines so that they can get you pizza faster anyone, somehow. Well, anyone that lazy is not wearing shoes. Great point. Well, you could have the shoe next to you, and you just reach over and tap the shoe, and the pizza shows Honey, up. Honey, give me the shoes. I'm ordering a pizza. Another pizza chain, Papa John's, yeah. is taking a page from the airline industry and testing a fee that lets people bump their pizza orders to the front of the line. Oh, wow. The chain says the uh, $2.99 Papa Priority, as they're calling it. Uh, Papa Priority. F- that fee was recently launched in select locations so and is looking for ways to expand the test. It says the fee doesn't guarantee delivery within a, a specific set of time, but it sends an order to the front of the line so it's made faster, theoretically getting to you faster. Wow. So As if Papa John's wasn't expensive already. The option is limited to five orders per night, so you can't go crazy. Yeah, you can't jump to the front of the line on every order. Customers whose pizzas get bumped back might object. Papa John says the option has gotten great customer reception because those people could, they should have... Uh, you can you can do the priority, Papa John. So, so basically, it turns into an eBay auction. Yeah. yeah. Just what you want. A little com- competition in your pizza ordering. Like, seriously. If you're going to do this, I get it. But don't... I mean, don't tell me about it. Now I'm mad. 
If my Papa John's comes late, now I'm mad. I think that's a, definitely a worse idea than the shoes. I think they. Huh. I, I think what they need to say is, yeah, sorry, three people jumped ahead of you because of priority Papa John's. But if you want to pay a little more. I mean, I'm not saying we couldn't get you ahead of the line. It's just going to cost you We a could bit. slow down their conveyor belt a little. Holy cow. This is what makes you want to go to Domino's. They're slow for everybody. I mean, it, possibly. Possibly? I don't order pizza by by delivery anymore. Do Papa John's deliver? Yeah. There you have it. Okay, any other pizza news? Um, Domino's allows patrons to order a variety of ways, including via emoji on Twitter. I love that. Or text message. Or Amazon Echo. Boy, what if Facebook all Facebook Messenger or What if Google all of a sudden Home these or, emojis start helping you order stuff? They already are. There's some really cool emojis you could just start pushing and ordering. Is it Great. that tough to pick up a phone and call it is, in and order? It is. It's getting harder and harder. Or even now, I mean the online ordering. I told you about a restaurant yeah. that I I ordered and you can select the time that you wanted to pick up. Yeah. Which was awesome. But someday, you, I mean, we're eating so much food, we're not going to be able to lift our arms. This is what true. about those days? We'll just like that, roll down the road. Like that film Wall-E. Yes. Do you remember? Wall-E. Floating chairs. Yeah. Wall-E. Yeah. That oh, sounded more like E.T. <laughs> Wall-E. Like, yeah, that doesn't quite work. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back, visit our good brother in a BYU Sports Nation. We're going to check in with them, see if they have any updates on Brady's jersey. Plus, uh, we got we got some other questions to ask him, like, what dreams do they have at work? Stick with us. Yeehaw! Welcome back, friends. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Spencer and Jason. 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 Hello, gentlemen. Hey, you, French said, there. you said that like a Frenchman. <laughs> and it's fitting because Jason saw Beauty and the Beast yes. last did night, he? Matt. Did he? I did. I loved it. How's Lumiere? Lumiere is awesome, but I'm going to be honest. Yeah. As great as Ewan McGregor was, I miss Jerry Orbach. Do you? Yes. Both really? from that movie and from Law & Order. You... I didn't know. And we, from Dirty Dancing. And from Dirty, yes, he was. Uh, he was baby's. He was baby's father. <laughs> baby, daddy. Ba- baby daddy's father. Enchanté, <laughs> mademoiselle. <laughs> this is great, boy. Let me see that hand of yours. Have you seen the movie? No. It was. It's awesome. I loved it. Did you and cry? I was a huge fan of the like the the original, like right. the the cartoon back in like ninety one. I uh-huh. loved that. So so, so it brought back memories. Great. Yeah, it was great. Well, that's what I loved about it is it it didn't uh, deviate much from that, which I love. Oh, good. So that too many you... times you have like these stories like, wait, that has nothing to do with anything. That was not part. That that's not the case with this. It's right. Aw- it's awesome. I right. Loved it. You could follow the story because you knew the story exactly. Yeah, because it's hard. Sometimes it's hard with these Disney movies to follow the story. <laughs> <laughs> they they make them so complex. Yeah, oh, you know I what mean? I mean. Sometimes it just throws you. Hey, I got to ask you a sports question. I'm sure you heard that they found Brady's jersey. Yes. And it was, interestingly, it was a a former director of Mexico's La Prensa newspaper walked in, took one of the jerseys, the the Super Bowl jersey, out of the locker room. I'm wondering um, how many times you guys have walked into a locker room and, and stolen jerseys. 
Uh, I've never done that. Never. 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 Zero, huh? That is something that I've never done. Uh, I kind of wish Jerem were here today because we know <laughs> he's Jerem done it. may have? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure really he's Well, he'd really add to yeah. this, wouldn't he? Yeah, because... <laughs> Yeah, he's actually got a felony, doesn't he, doing that? See, that's kind of frowned upon in the media, um, yeah. taking things. Well, that's frowned upon in life, taking things that don't right. belong to you. Didn't I didn't I heard one of you took, uh, like, Carl Malone's watch once. Carl Malone's watch? Out of a jazz locker room. No, but you should ask Jeremy about the time that uh, he had, he took some tickets <laughs> to a Trailblazers game. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay, we're writing that if down. you want to know the BYU tie-in to this story? Yes. If you notice the still frame yes. picture that I they take, notice. there's Kyle Van Oy walking with right his, behind right, the guy. That's right. In the, May, in the still shot. That's yeah, it. Kyle tweeted out yesterday, I knew he had it the whole time. <laughs> Did he say that? <laughs> Kyle's hair was out of control in that picture. Yeah, well, it can be because he's in the NFL and not at BYU anymore. That's that's true. He, he can just l- won the Super Bowl. That was the least. Do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Yes. Even take a guy's jersey. You just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? Have crazy hair. <laughs> it's crazy hair Go day. Cougars. Hey, we talked earlier on the show about the fact that a lot of people go home and dream about work. Um, I want to know if if you guys ever dream about work, and do you what's the craziest dream you've ever had that involved work? The craziest dream? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. This is what happens when you do play by play, and you read game notes like at ridiculous hours in the night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was preparing for the BYU Southern Utah, no BYU Arizona gymnastics meet, and I shared this story with Guard Young. And, uh, I mean, you're, re- you're memorizing bios. Essentially, you're studying, you're cramming for a final, right? Right. So that when you hit the air, all of that information is available and can come out when the context presents itself at the right time. <laughs> okay? Right. So I had a dream that one of BYU's gymnasts, Brittany Haas is her name, was just trolling me so hard <laughs> about my lack of physical strength and huh. specifically my abs. She's wow. like, I remember this from the dream. You drink a lot of soda, don't you? And I was like, uh, wow. Oh, yeah, I like soda. And she's like, yeah, I can tell because your abs are embarrassing. <gasps> Interesting. Like, okay. Those are the type of stupid dreams yeah. you know that what? happen I'd like when to... you read game notes until 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd like to just have a little therapy moment now and talk about your inner worries. Right? That's... Right. This is more about you, Spencer, than it is about Brittany. Like when I got to the meet, I saw her and I was like, I felt weird. Yeah. Did she really say that? Because your mind, in your mind. She was so mean to me. In your mind, that (laughs) happened. Your mind yeah. thinks that that was real. That's totally right. I never remember dreams either. I know. Like, no. I don't yeah, remember I don't anything, but I remember that. <laughs> my my, I actually because we have, you know, a dream. We have a job that you know is that. That is a dream. Well, well, great point. Yes. You know, so, yeah, I mean, like, we'll, I'll dream about my job, but mine is always something going horribly wrong in my dreams, yeah. and I'm, I'm constantly trying to catch up, or I'm, the one that always happens to me is, and I am never late. I am, I am always early, and maybe it's because I have these dreams that I'm, I'm always late for work. Have, oh, I hate that. That, like, I have yeah, these dreams yeah. all the time that That's I'm horrible. late. And Ben Bagley's just, waiting for you with a bat. Not just that, but like the show's already happening, yes, right? Yeah, like it's on. The show's on, and and you just cannot get there. I yeah. hate that dream. Yeah, that's and, a bad and maybe dream. because of that, I am I'm the early guy. Mm-hmm. I will always be early to anything. 
Yeah, See? whether it's Shep is that guy. Whether, and I'm exactly the opposite. <laughs> whether it's yeah. church, no, I work. Saw, yeah, I saw Spencer come in about five minutes ago. <laughs> hey, real fast, guys, what's on your show today? Uh, Cinderella Story, Ooh. Matt. A Cinderella Story. BYU football. The actress who played Cinderella will join us. Has <laughs> once again been compared to Cinderella. And, ah. and everyone's like, yeah, awesome. Talking about BYU. Cool. We're relevant. National people like us. Does, does BYU want the designation of being the Cinderella. Cinderella in the landscape of college football. Do they really want no. that? What goes into that? Yeah. We're going to we're going to talk about that and does if the slipper really fits for BYU this year. That's the, great. The reason that we're we're discussing this was yesterday uh Ben Kerchival from CBS Sports put out his list. He listed five college football teams that he believes will uh, could potentially be Cinderella's this upcoming season, and BYU was huh. one of those. So he will join us, and we'll find out why he likes BYU, or if he even meant it as a positive. Who knows? Yeah. Was he dissing us? Huh? Who knows? Okay, this is good, guys. That's a great show, and yeah. it's just four minutes away. Knock Woo! him dead, gentlemen. Okay. Kill it. Um, that is, uh, that's true. You don't, maybe you don't want to be a Cinderella story. I mean, the, the glass slipper thing. The mice turning into footmen. The Got to ride around in a sticky pumpkin. Yeah, I could not ride in a pumpkin. Those seeds are hard to get out of your hair. <laughs> totally. With all those strands of stringy pumpkin guts, just, yeah, not good. Not good. Um, so, folks, when we think about life, where... Where would you say is the best investment of time? Your family. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. And it's accurate. Uh, it's what we've learned on the show today is it's not in trying to impress a girl about crocodiles. It's not that because they'll tear your, your arm off. The we've, girl or the? The crocodile. <laughs> on the show, we've also talked about the fact – Again, you. How come the people always laugh at your stuff? I just have that uh, je ne sais quoi. You don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, let me just suggest if you are going to invest some time in eating Girl Scout cookies, you may as well just give them the money because if you eat the cookies, apparently nutritionally not that good for you. What? I know. I know. So mm. donate the money and then give the cookies to somebody you want to kill because apparently they're, <laughs> they're, they're not super healthy. See, I laugh for you even though the audience didn't. Yeah. You thought that was hilarious. By the way, the, the most fattening, highest calorie cookie, if you're going – if you want to know, uh, you're, you're going to want to go with the Savannah Smiles – or the shortbread cookie, uh, the Thin Mints have about 40 calories per cookie. But once you get up into the peanut butter cookies, they're about 57 calories per cookie. The Tagalongs. Tagalongs are about 70. And they come with a defibrillator. And the Samoas, 70. So the S'mores, 90. Just letting you know. Hey, let's get to our hero story. A hero story is... uh, 
Uh, authorities in New Jersey say an elderly woman trying to cross the tracks in front of an oncoming train was saved by a driver who sprinted from his car and pulled her out of the way. Police say John Mango was waiting at Saddlebrook Railroad Crossing when he saw a woman with two canes trying to cross Wednesday afternoon. Officials say Mango jumped out of his car and guided the woman away from the tracks. Mango tells WABC-TV that the woman seemed scared and was struggling. She was taken to the hospital as a precaution. I'm not a hero. I'm not anything, Mango said. I just saw something or somebody in need, and it needed to be done. I took care of it. Mango's dashboard camera captured the close call, showing him running out of his car, ducking under the lowered gate, and guiding the woman along. Another man um, joined in to help as well. So whether you like it or not, John Mango, you are the hero of the day. Simply being there and being willing to act, sometimes that's what makes a hero. We'll be back again tomorrow, folks, to give you more hope in life, uh, hopefully some chuckles as well. Life is good, and uh, you've only got one of them to live, so let's live it the best way we can. We'll talk again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great day.